Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan Moriarty117. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? <laughs> Here's my pensive. I don't know why I'm doing pensive, double-fisted pensive. Double-fisted pensive? That's Ooh, almost that's like you're forlorn. Yeah, that's you know? no good. Let's yeah. just do one. Uh, hello. Hello. It's so nice to see you, dude. Oh, shit. You know what I forgot? Mm. Listen. Oh, for you, all you ASMR fans out there, oh, no. you might like this. <laughs> now it's going to explode all over me. Should we do it on mic? Yeah, do it. Do it. Okay. Oh, oh that's a good, that is a that good was, sound. That was perfect. That's a good sound. You should be a sound engineer. You know what? I'll give you guys a little peek behind the podcasting curtain. Mm. I usually try. I'm usually drinking like a Pellegrino, a Perrier, something like that for the pods, right? But I try to open it like an hour before because I don't want to be gassy. I don't want it to be too bubbly, right? When I'm talking, we're having a conversation. But I totally forgot. So all good, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. It's good to good to see you. I like it. Is that a De La Soul is dead shirt? What is that? I can't no, see it. This is um first one, three feet high. Oh, three feet. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Can't see it. Maybe if I pull it back a little bit. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Love it. You want to see want to see the gun show? Yeah. Are you working out? No. No, but I think about it every day. I'm like, how do I because I, you know, I go for my walks, 45 mm. minutes, 50 minutes, something like that. About three miles, three and a half miles. And that's good. And my legs are in good shape, mm. but my upper body, dude. I'm just oh, I know. You know what I mean? How do I integrate? Out. I'm wondering, like, how do I integrate that into my day? You know, and the only thing I can think of is work your left arm out with like a 10 pound weight while I'm drawing. And That's, I think it'll be really funny to be really built up on one side, but I'm not going to be the guy. That would also require an incredible amount of attention and focus. I don't think you can. do It's like rubbing your belly and tapping your head. Oh, I like, can't, you can't do, do that. that. I can't do that. Yeah. Chewing gum and walking. Forget it. No, no, no. No, no one should be <laughs> chewing gum anyway. It's disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, I'm good. It, it, I, I recommend just getting some free weight. I mean, that's what I did. You know, how just, long do you go for each day? 
20 minutes. Oh, that's all. Yeah. And you that's look, all I, can... I mean, that's a noticeable difference. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't have like any oh. definition really, but that's my arm. I mean, dude, it's yeah. a huge, I mean, it's a huge, there it is. <laughs> there it is. It's not great, but it's better than it was, you know, Arnold. Oh, no. Yeah, my legs are in great shape, but my I, I want to get a little bit better up here. You know, I, I totally understand what you're saying. The workout, like my, I'm, I'm noticing like my wrist, like y- y- there's just definition. You will you'll love doing it because I noticed the difference. Like you, and you really feel do. different, like just the way you carry yourself, right? Like just the, your body feels a little different. I've said that the unusual thing that lifting weights did for me was like it stretched my back out and like and straightened me up. Like I know the first time I lifted weights, I was like, holy shit. Like, really? Yeah. Like you just, cause you're doing this thing. I don't know. Like, yeah, doing, yeah. I don't, I can't explain it. I was yeah. telling someone on a recent podcast that we were talking about, uh, I did a podcast called body and mind where I am um, on sacred symbols. Plus it actually went up when we're recording this, um, where I interviewed a guy about who was like, a, a doing this, this thing. It's actually a really cool idea. Infinite RPG. It's called infinite RPG. Oh, and it's wow. like a role-playing game where you, are it's like your avatar and so you're like building a character and it's his like company oh shit which is pretty cool and then i interviewed a guy in australia who's does this thing called headspace which is like a a positive role model sort of like how do you use games responsibly and all that sort of thing and wait headspace is like a big thing yeah right yeah, well it is in australia anyway yeah and Who, uh, who's the guy you interviewed for that he's just a, one of the counselors there oh, his okay, name okay. is michael Peakin. okay well that's and cool so, yeah so because I'm trying to, Cog and I did an, inter, and I've said this before, so I know Sacred Symbols people, like we get it, but Cog and I did an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus called Health is Wealth. Yeah. Where we just talked about like our cell, like, you know, like our, our regimens and, and just trying to convince people and people really liked that episode. I love and, that. And sometimes people just need a push. Like we were just saying, like, go to the eye doctor, go to the dentist, like put down the cheeseburger, at least sometimes don't drink the fourth beer. It's like, I'm, I'm, I get it. Talk you know, to I myself. It, I'm the man in the mirror, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So, well, you're colliding two worlds that rarely have anything to do with each other. I feel like at least in conversation. And that's huge. You know, you're, you're, cause we all think about these things, but we want to talk about halo three. We don't want to talk about working out. No, you know? I don't. I don't want to talk about it. The, the, the thing I will say about working out is that some people like people I have an. I'm very lucky to have a space in my house where I have a home gym, like a room that's just dedicated to the gym. It's like downstairs right off the front door. It's supposed that's to be great. like a it's supposed to be like a home office, I think. But sure. we just put all our workout equipment in there. And uh, I would never work out if I had to leave the house. But I and I also I must admit that I don't enjoy it. Like, I know some people really like it. I don't do it because I like to do it. I do it because it's good for you and it's good for your mind. And it's just like, just get through it. And then, for instance, on Sunday, football started. I fell asleep during this, the afternoon games for like two hours on the couch. And I woke up and uh, it was too late for me to work out because we were about to eat dinner or whatever. And I'm like, I felt like a lazy asshole. You know, you just got to get through those things. And then, but I am jealous of the people that are like, yeah, I fucking love it. I love working out. Like, I don't like working out. It sucks. No, I don't either. It's true though. There's what is it about doing something we don't want to do that makes us feel good? Is it a discipline thing, knowing that we did something, or when we're resting later, we know we earned it? Mm-hmm. Right. That's There's exactly a little, right. Little bit of little bit of something in all of that. I think that's what I try to do. Is I try to you know I don't smoke joints until I smoke a couple of joints a day and I smoke them at night. But I like I, I do all my work and then around five thirty I'll start like getting into workout mode and then at seven or so I'll go and take a shower and then we eat at seven thirty and then I'm off the clock. And okay, I'm, like, I'm good. I feel good at that point. You know, yeah, that's uh, a good, that's a good, that's so a good I, I highly recommend it. I highly yeah. recommend it. I like it, dude. Right. My friends, good to be here with you today. I'm glad you're well. We're here to talk about Halo Three, the 2007 Xbox 360 game. 
and uh, we both just recently beat it. Now, you asked me before we started. So for people that don't remember, if you listen to the Halo 2 conversation, you'll know that I stole the Red Letter Media idea of kind of introing the they do movies, but introing like the review process by just kind of giving our thoughts. And Dagan asked if I did it this time. And I said I didn't, but he gave me a little extra time. He did it and I gave, gave me a little extra time. So I wrote a little 500 word thing as well to kind of set the stage for how we feel about Halo 3. So, Dig, since you are into the idea, I figure let's let you go first. We'll we'll ease into it. Uh, shout out to Red Letter for the idea of doing this. I think this is a good way to set things up. So, yeah, take it away. Yeah, man. I mean, this is kind of fun for me because I don't I love to write, but I don't get to exercise those muscles very often, you know. So this is kind of a fun little thing. I was thinking about this. I was laughing at myself before I came on here with you. I, I had so many ideas for this. And I wanted to kind of sculpt it like, what am I going to do? All right, maybe I'll, I'll do a food thing and make it like a master chef type thing. And I'll cultivate the entire thing like that. But the way it came out is kind of erratic. You know, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different ideas. So I apologize for that. But don't be so. Listen, we can't all be the Gene Parks of the world. Right. Sure. Sure. Right? So but I had a good time. Listen. Good. Yeah. And it was a pleasure because this game is a pleasure. So, Kyle. Let's let's kind of broach the conversation like this. Okay. As Halo enters into trilogy territory, it's fun to look back and see how the franchise has cultivated so much success. With a rabid fan base, one of the most iconic heroes in all the video games, and Microsoft minting mother loads of money off the series, what is the magic ingredient bubbling at the bottom of this sci-fi shooter stew? Like the first two games before it, there's a lot to love about this third effort. But since we're celebrating a trilogy here, let's boil it down to three things for now. A rich, well-crafted story with thoughtful world building, a quality visual presentation, and voice actors that sound like they actually give a damn. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. None of that would make a difference if we weren't having an amazing time with the resulting experience. High quality building materials are nice, but we want to enjoy the finished house. When something is truly great, it can be difficult to articulate. Luckily, we have cliches for that. And so many of them seem to apply here. First of all, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And Bungie didn't. Plus, the best really do make it look easy, and creating a video game apparently is no exception. And since it's a three thing, I'll just add one more obvious one here. Third time's a charm. Mm. In this case, I believe three really is the magic number. Even with so much to love about this third Halo game, it all, all boils down to three simple letters. F-U-N. And that's it. That's very well done. Thank you, my very friend. Well said. All right, here's what I wrote. For those that have been playing games for a long time... You'll remember that 2007 was an historic year across the industry. The Orange Box launched, as did Bioshock and Mass Effect. God of War 2 came to PlayStation 2, the original Uncharted came to PS3, Super Mario Galaxy wowed us on the Wii, and Call of Duty became a true phenomenon with Modern Warfare. 2007 is also the year I started full-time at IGN, so indeed, that year was quite the experience, but what I remember most about that year is how Halo 3 completely took over the office. The longer I worked there, the more fractured people's playing behaviors became, but virtually everyone was all in on Halo 3, at least for a little bit, and except for me. See, I was very poor in 2007. I didn't own any current-gen consoles at that time, and I was also the lowest man on the totem pole, so I was obsessively focused on work. Halo 3 came and went, and I never played it, until now. 
Here's what I love about it and the other Halo games we played before and indeed even the ones that are, are to come. They're all short. They don't require more than eight or ten hours at most to beat and Halo 3 fits beautifully in that pocket. But let's be real. The gameplay, the gunplay, the movement, the variety of weapons, it all hits. But I'm also reminded of a famous Halo meme that Chris Reagan shared with me excitedly a few weeks ago telling me I'd finally get it. It's three pictures of Master Chief next to each other for Halos 1, 2, and 3. 1 and 3 say something like, let's blow shit up. While the middle one in the, in the, the one in the middle has unreadable text, like lines and lines of unreadable text. In other words, it's an indication of how much lore and storytelling was in Halo 2. That's what made me like it so much. Halo 3 lacks that. If it takes about eight hours to beat, and it does, could we at least get 30 more minutes of further exposition, cutscenes, and more? The truth is, I wouldn't have picked up on the entire story if I didn't read a synopsis, and I'm not entirely sure how you're even supposed to know things that are taken for granted in the game. And no, I'm not reading any of the novels. You shouldn't have to. I know this is an online game first and foremost. I know it sold something insane, like 15 million copies on a console with an 80 million user install base. I just found it a little anticlimactic is all, except for the dope ending that mimics the original Halo, but doesn't suck like that ending Halo, that ending sequel and uh, sequence in Halo 1 did. The long and short is fun game, disappointing story, and I'm ready to see what else is out there in this universe. Why not take a little more time? Why does it have to be? See, th- I was saying this recently on a show because people, you know, Dustin was trying to call me out saying like, well, you say, and I said it on this show before where six hours is too short. 10 hours for some things, 10 hours might be too long. Eight hours is kind of perfect, but you're really talking about major differences when you get to seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 hours and adding just a little more exposition. It kind of, it felt like it really didn't need it, but you had the Halo three was made unlike Halo two without, you know, trouble without lack of money or time. So I don't know why they chose not to focus on the story very much. They wrapped it up. They set up Halo four. And there are two Halos in between that we'll have to play in ODST and Reach, which is a prequel. ODST, I guess, is uh, kind of a continuation, a short continuation of Halo 3 in some other way. But that's based, those are basically my feelings on it. I think that Halo 2 is probably my favorite one of these three. And I don't know why they abandoned or seemed to abandon what was so part of what was so cool about that, which was the story. Do you agree with that, that, that there, there seemed to be a lack of... Like, I didn't even know what was going on half the time, to be honest with you. I was reading like a very deep synopsis that I went stage by stage after a while just uh, to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I'm like, I'm not entirely sure how I was supposed to know this about this story. Did you experience the same thing? I'm glad it's not just me. me. I'm glad you had the same takeaway. In fact, I have the synopsis pulled up on the wiki page just to have as reference because I'm not sure I even get everything right now. I mean, this is this is so fun because, first of all, it's a rare opportunity for you and I to play something for the first time together, because you usually have play, have touched on all of these things. So this is a rare thing for knockback. And the second thing is, Kyle, that I think is so fun is that this was a rare experience for me and that, like you, I felt like it was too short. It was too brisk. I could have... I actually did something maybe for the first time in knockback history for myself where I played it all in one day. And night. I mean, I started the night before, so technically it was over two days, but I could have easily gotten it done. That's because I was worried. I didn't think I'd get done in time. So that was a rare thing for me. Now I played, it probably took me almost 11 hours, but that's very short for me. And by the time it ended, I, I just wanted more because I was having such a great time with it. And I think, but I gotta say, man, this might be in terms of fun and just having a great time. This might be my favorite. It's neck and neck because I loved all three of them. Really like adored all three experiences. They were all a little different. But this one for me, just in terms of pound for pound fun, 
I think this was my favorite. And that's why it adds insult to injury, injury, right? It pours a little salt in the wound of, man, I wish I could have had a couple more hours of this. So, yeah. Yeah. So. It's almost, it's, it does, it, it walks that line where you, I don't want games to stick around too long, but I was surprised. I think I might've said this about Halo too. I don't remember, but Master Chief Collection does this thing where, and you probably noticed this, where you go into the con- continuation of the campaigns and then it tells you how many stages you beat. Yeah. So I don't know. I went into the, so I beat like the first three stages one night and then I think that was Saturday or Sunday night and then like the next three. And then I sat down to beat the rest of it. And I, I, I was like, where is the 11th stage? Like, I don't remember even playing an 11th stage. I don't know if that was like just the ending or whatever, but I, cause I, I was, when you're doing that really fun driving part at the end, which I thought was awesome. It's so good. It's super cool. And you're with the, the arbiter and you guys, you guys are kind of escape trying to escape and, and you actually fail. Um, escaping, which is pretty cool and un- unexpected. I was surprised that that was the last stage because I was like, oh, I, I, I actually I was I was playing and I'm like, this is awesome because they're echoing the original Halo, but yes. they're going to give you one more on foot mission at the end, you know, and that's what I was kind of thinking. And then it just ended and it went into the ending and I started getting the the, the uh, achievements for beating it. I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. But d- I mean, it's undeniably fun. It is. It is really, really fun. I have, so fun. I have a few gameplay quibbles with it, but overall, it's just I mean, that's what glows with the game and you can tell and i know some people are disappointed that we're not talking about the online suites i don't play online multiplayer games i just don't do it and i don't think you i have anything valuable to say about it anyway so I, i'm sorry about that but and i know that that's the star of the show for a lot of people but how that segues into the campaign i think is just wonderful and it's just it's it's kind of a bummer i mean i, I that's what i was saying in my write-up was i was curious i think we go to odst next and then reach and then four whenever we get to those i think we need a little bit of, of a break from halo at this point just so we can do some other other stuff on the show but I went and looked on how long to beat. Like, how long are all these games? And they're all short. Like, even when you go to Halo 5, I want to say, which was the second to last one, it's like eight hours. Halo Reach, eight hours. Halo ODST, five hours. You know, I was like, where? It's so weird. I was expecting that jump, especially from Halo 4. I'm going to go to this. I'm like, it's going to say 16 hours or something like that. Like, more like a resistance game, like the late resistance games or whatever. But no, they're all just this short. Which I can really appreciate, but I think that that's part of them saying this is not really why you're here anyway, or at least for most people. Most people are here for the online suite, very similar to what they would appreciate. I mean, this is all the culmination of what Destiny would become when they would leave Microsoft. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, the gameplay is really fun. I think it it can go a little bit longer, but I don't need more gameplay. I really needed more. I mean, I would have loved more gameplay, but more exposition. Give me just 20 more minutes. And I think about the Halo 2 cutscenes, and I'm like, man, where are these? In Halo 3, there's just not a lot going on. And there's some really cool set pieces and really cool locations. You're at the, you're literally in intergalactic space at the end of the at the end, like not even in the galaxy. You're looking at the galaxy, which is wild. You know, it's super cool. So, yeah, give us know, show me something here. You know, like give, <laughs> like give me a little bit more. Like, why are we rushing through these cool set pieces and these cool scenes? I will also say. And I, I, I think I said this from the beginning that my maybe my most major complaint is just enemy design. Like, I'm just it's a little boring. You know, okay. Yeah. Master Chief's a little boring. Cortana's a little boring. Also, horrible voice acting. <laughs> like really bad voice acting for Cortana in this game. And although I, I did feel at the end, dude, there's this awesome scene. We'll talk about it. They get on the ship. Cortana. He almost the ship severs in half. One part gets through the slip space wormhole. The other part is just floating in space. That's how we leave Master Chief. But there's this awesome shot where he's crawling up to Cortana and she's just kind of standing there in, in front of him as his body, as he's like standing up. I'm like, this is a really cool shot. And then at the end, they have this really cool scene where he's in cryogenic sleep and she's just kind of overlooking him 
you know, from as and it, I thought almost like a bubbling romance. I don't know if they go any further with this with Cortana and Chief, but I kind of dig it. So that's a, that's a cool. <laughs> I do, I do, I dig it because I, I, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. Like, oh, how does this all work? It's 500 years in the future. I have no idea what's going on, here with these dude. It's like Peter perverts. Pan and Tinkerbell. I was yeah, like, that's, that's, that's cyberpunk right. Tinkerbell. That's a right great there. way to put it. Great. And way it's to put like, it. why can't you? Why can't you guys just? get together <laughs> i know there's a size di- there's a little bit of a size difference in this Imagine case what Peter a Pan would have done to tinkerbell's body oh my goodness <laughs> shout out mark davis baby legendary animator but yeah i got to say you know what's funny two things are interesting one you wanted more because you wanted more context and more story and we celebrated the story especially in our part two conversation with how great it is like a seminal work of science fiction but for me i gotta be honest with you man i just I kind of echo my sentiments of part two. Yes, wonderful, thoughtful, sort of really kind of like one of the great works of science fiction, I think, across the board. But I didn't give a shit. I just have so much fun playing the game. I just really do. I want to do more, you know, totally the way they the way this game is so ahead of its time. I mean, all of them were in some way, but this game, especially just in the scope of the stages and the AI, like the, I was thinking of, and we'll talk about them when you fight the first um, spider enemy, like mm. the, uh, I forget what they're called. I have it in my notes somewhere. Yeah. Scarab. Scarab. Right. Yeah. I was like, this is very impressive. Not, not from a, even a design standpoint, but just like it's going on the walls. It's going on the side of the rock faces. It's walking. I'm like, this is a pretty impressive thing. And then you have this, this ability to fly all the way up, all the way down, use any of these vehicles. As I said before, it's got a real battlefield 1942 kind of feel where it's like, yeah, jump in the plane or Warhawk or something like jump in the plane, jump in the fucking Jeep, do whatever, run on ground, throw grenades, get a rocket launcher, just figure it out. And I, I dig that. I think the game is it's a masterclass in gameplay. I think Halo 3 in, in some way it's it's super fun and super balanced. It's the one thing I can really appreciate the longer it goes is that it's just more and more balanced. There's more thought from Halo 1 to Halo 2 to Halo 3 in terms of monster closets, drop ships, how enemies come in. There's that that scene when you're in the hive mind, like uh, space or whatever, with all the vaginal doors. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to put it. That's how to put it. I wrote notes here. Why does, why does the door look? What's with the vaginal doors? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I was thinking Sarlacc pit, but that's just one thing removed from a vaginal door. So, yeah, yeah you can see here. Uh, uh, I don't know if this will come through for people at this, but it says it says it here. Oh my God. What's with the vaginal doors? Gross. <laughs> but at that scene, I was like, this is really impressive. You are. You are moving in this spiral random direction. You have really no idea where you're going. Enemies are constantly coming at you. It feels balanced and fun. It, it deals with the power fantasy in a really great way. I mean, yeah, there's just well no said. doubt that that from a, a storytelling perspective, it's it's a masterclass. I just I can't help but disagree in terms of does the story matter or not? Or do you care or not? It's so cool. Why didn't you? Dude, the story is about. The covenant, this alien conglomeration of races that are mega religious. They have this idea of what these ancient devices can do. They're wrong. There's a civil war between them. Multi dude, there's a part of the game where you're playing with the flood. I mean, that was super cool. Or they're like, <laughs> they're on your so side now. Cool. You know, and I was like, this is dope. This is so dope. Why aren't you taking just a little more time to go through this? You know, truth kills the other the other covenant leaders. You have this one group of brutes that are still really loyal. The elites kind of split off. And the entire time, Guilty Spark obviously turning on you. This is what, it, this is a whole other thing, but what's, 
why did they name their studio after not Bungie, but Microsoft? Why did they name their studio three four three? You named it after the bad guy in Halo Three. <laughs> you one don't of the like worst, that? One of the worst boss fights ever, by the way. Oh my god! I wanted so much from that fight. It was so boring. Like Way I, I was like, easy. it was so it was a comically easy. I was like, what is this shit? This sucks. What you, it should have gone into like a it should have been like, oh, and I like got pretty and then like gone like a Metal Gear Rex type thing or whatever. And 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 it's like in the center and you have to like hit it. See, know, that would have been cool, Kyle. But I also like the idea of kind of cutting against the grain and making this epic boss fight with something really tiny. Yeah, that's, that's too. fun. Yeah, dig it. But do something to make, you know, make the experience last that you shouldn't beat that the first time you play it. You should have to figure it out. A little it should bit. have more than one attack as well. Yeah. <laughs> It was way too. It was it was strange where I was even thinking I only played it on normal, but I know people play these games on legendary, which is very hard. That's two steps up. Yeah, I played on normal. And and, uh, that's hardcore as fuck. And actually, you get a different ending if you beat it on legendary. Apparently, I don't know if you read about that. Yeah. And different things intermittently throughout the game. I also heard. Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't see all that. By the way, I was finding the skulls and I couldn't pick them up. Did you find any skulls? I I don't know if you can only pick them up on harder difficulties, but I found a few accident, I think. Yeah, I I don't know what that's all about, but. Those are the collectibles and then they allow you to augment things. But um, yeah, I just I wanted more out of that, too. It almost reminded me of the Lazarevich fight in Uncharted 2, where just from the perspective of you don't need to do this. Like there's a part of me that feels like guilty, guilty spark is unable to fight like or or whatever. Like it's just a thing like it does. Instead of just shooting this powerful beam at you and turning on you and all that, which is cool. And he kills Johnson and all that. And I get that. But yeah, that's right. But to me, I was like, nah. Wouldn't it have been cool if you didn't have to do this? You didn't really have to do this. This game doesn't need boss fights. Shooters don't need boss fights. And especially end of stage boss fights, like you have the Scarab fights and all these things, but then you yeah. move on. And so, I, and that reminds me a lot of Lazarevich in Uncharted 2, where it's like, oh, you don't need to do this. You don't need to end it like this. You know, it, it would have been, it would have been kind of cool, actually, if you, I mean, maybe this is anticlimactic in some way too, where Guilty Spark turns on them, kills Johnson, and then McMaster just shoots it. You know, oh, see, like I like that. that. Yeah, like it's like in in just a cutscene. I like that too. And listen, I like boss fights. You know, I'm I'm a mark for the boss fight model. I love that. But this, I feel like Halo is a game of momentum. That's kind of the appeal and kind of the fun is kind of that forward motion and that rhythm. And the boss fight thing interrupts that. You know what I mean? Even if they're fun, thoughtful boss fights that are kind of you know a lot of you know kind of joyful to execute and, and be involved with. I think, yeah, it's just Halo. It's not for Halo, at least not so far over the over these three. It doesn't doesn't fit the mold. It is so funny, though, seeing games that I really love, like specifically the Resistance trilogy, but to a lesser extent, Killzone, which was really designed to take on Halo in some way. And I think beats Halo dramatically. That's in some what he says. Although yeah. not like in terms of visuals and all that. And just the vi- I mean, Killzone's a way better looking game. The Hellgaster way cooler villains and all the rest their orange eyes i love i love that they're they're human they're just wearing masks and i will get to the kill zone one day they, they're really hard to play because they're not available on the new consoles you have to go back to ps3 to play all the kill zones oh wow um, well kill zone one's on ps2 but they ported it to kill zone or to ps3 okay. and the other two were only on there kill zone shadow falls a ps4 launch game and that was the end there's also a kill zone game on vita and a kill zone game on psp and resistance has been dead other than a couple spinoffs as well but those games, I think, do a better job from the visuals. But it's funny playing those games and thinking about them, especially with how intimately I know Resistance and being like, wow, they stole so much from Halo. It's not even it's so funny. There's a there's a monster like a spider like 
scarab like monster in the beginning of resistance resistance three that you fight and i'm like holy shit i mean this is this is taken straight from halo three like i i i had no idea that there were certain things like that which i think are so funny there are even enemies in the second halo that have like the exhaust things on the back um oh yeah and that's those are the chimera from resistance the the chimera in resistance which is one of the cool little things about them is that they're like alien they're actually deformed humans but they're alien imbued creatures and they 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 put these exhaust ports on the back of them and they spread out like wings i don't know if i have oh that's cool oh wait hold on a second <laughs> a rare visual aid <laughs> this is i don't know if you can see this is a chimera from resistance oh the bad my guys. god i love that design and but so these things cool. on the back are like st- stitched into them and they're allowed I them love to, that. they allowed them to cool off so if you shoot them when they put them up, you just blow them up. Dude, what a great idea. And uh, there's similar things in Halo 2 specifically. I was like, okay, well, that's maybe where that came from. And, that's um, funny. So now you could retroactively see these things now that you've experienced the game. Right. We need right? we need resistance back so bad. Come on, Insomniac. <laughs> if you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Dig, let's get into it. So the 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 game takes place. First of all, how do you like when games, books, movies take place right after the last one? I dig that a lot. This is what I wanted out of The Last of Us. Um, you didn't play The Last of Us Part 2 yet. I won't spoil it for you, but you definitely have to do that. I assume they're going to really my theory is that they're obviously going to release it on PS5 and prelude to the next season. And I think they're going to have all calendar year and the 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 the. The strike fucked everything up, so we're probably not going to get that season yeah. until 2025 at this point. So I think they have a little bit of time, so we'll get there eventually. But one of the things I wanted out of The Last of Us, which we didn't get, and this isn't a spoiler, I guess, is that I always thought it would have been very cool if The Last of Us Part 2 picked up right after the end of the conversation that when when Joel tells Ellie what he tells her at the end sure. of the game. Instead, it's not like that at all. And uh, so they make that they take that decision. They say this is only two weeks, not even, I don't think, after Halo 2. How do you feel about that? I love that kind of kind of continuity, especially as we've played them on top of each other. Yeah, that kind of tether is so cool because it really honors what came before. And as gamers, you really have to go in and start from the beginning, right? That There's a continuation that's sort of necessary. It's also kind of courage, courageous, I think, from a storytelling perspective. But it also makes sense, right? Because it's a, especially in a cliffhanger end ending like Halo 2 to, to pick it right up. It's um, I think it's fun. And I think it's probably really tempting to go in and say, OK, we got new ideas. There's new things. Maybe we'll kind of thread it together retroactively or kind of in a backwards way. But let's start with a departure because now we have this new idea and we want to do this new thing. So it takes a lot of, I think, kind of you know, restraint too, 
to not to not do that and just pick it up. But we kind of I feel like because of the nature of the way two ended, kind of had to, you know. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I love although I didn't see it, I I only read about it. The legendary ending where they more set up where like they they see the planet where Halo Four I guess takes place. The Chief and Cortana. Right. Because it's cool to think at the end, they all think Chief is dead, which I love. And I guess um, it would have been interesting if they just. Even we thought Chief was dead. I like that. Or that like when you beat it on Legendary, that's when you see Chief in the cryogenic sleeping pod with Cortana over him and they're going towards the planet. Maybe that's the payoff. But I wouldn't have minded even us thinking that he was dead. And I, I know a lot of people idea. look at this game as being like it should have ended with him here. And I think that. The, the thing we have to say here, I mean, this is I only know this from my Halo loving friends over the years, Ryan McCaffrey and others, where this is considered kind of like the high point. It all kind of goes downhill from here, which I'm really that sucks. I'm, I'm really interested because there's five more. I mean, yeah. there's ODST, Reach, four, five and Infinite. So and I don't we'll probably never even get to Infinite. We have so many more games to go. People say that the, I'll like them the more they go because they become broader Colin like shooters. And I'll be interested to see why people say that. But a lot of oh, people say that to me. And maybe it's because of my love of some of the other alien shooters. But yeah, I, I, I think a little more mystery would have been good wrapping up, especially because Master who gives it. I mean, who gives a shit about Master Chief? I'm not trying to be in. No, I don't. The game. Listen, the game is great. It really is. It's super fun to play. Who gives a shit about this character? I don't get it. He's an avatar. He's people a vehicle to, make, to the action. People just make fun of Killzone and be like, well, who cares about Sev and all these different characters? And I'm like, dude, they're just as bad as Master Chief. I, I, I was going into this thinking, oh, Master Chief must have some profound. Thing. I wanted him to take his helmet off or do something. Sure. And instead, it's just there's one thing I like about Master Chief, and I'll, I'll talk about that later. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's that's a, He's little bit a of weak nucleus to build a cell around. Exactly. Especially such well a great. You know what I mean? Such a great everything else is so rich. Uh, the other characters, the world building, the tech, the bad guys, the good guys, this multi-pronged war being fought on multiple fronts. You got all this bitching shit. And he's but I think because he works as like kind of like the player surrogate or an audience proxy, but kind of not. He he has a character. He has a voice. We don't see his face. We talked about motocross Boba Fett and Mountain Dew and all that kind of shit and how it made sense visually and from a cultural perspective. But yeah, he's just, it's so interesting. What was the other thing we were talking about recently where it was like the same sort of thing where the main character or the main thing was so weak and then everything else around it was so rich and textured. I forgot what it was, but I'll, I'll think of it, but it's the same type of thing we covered here. Yeah. I think it was something we talked about on knockback. Oh, it was the final fantasy games. Oh yeah. Like all the other characters, even the NPCs in some Mm -hmm. cases were so much more impressive. And we're talking specifically about one, two and three, just so people know we're not talking about four and six and all. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. Of course not. No. (laughs) You're absolutely right though. It is very weird. Like people, I, I expected, I will say I expected a lot more out of this character based on his staying power. Cause it's just not Great. I actually just looked it up. Did they ever take his helmet off? They do. I just saw a picture of him. Oh, they do? Yeah. In a later game. But I wanted to see more of that. He's supposed to be like this crazy 300 pound superhuman. Okay. It would have just been cool to, you know, he's like six foot 10 or whatever he is or maybe even bigger than that. I love that kind of stuff. It's cool. But yeah, he should be a brute. And it, and it go yeah, exactly. That would be that would be awesome <laughs> if he was amazing. Yeah. 
but I guess it kind of goes into, I don't want to speak too out of turn because I don't, I'm really not familiar with destiny at all, but there seems to be no characters involved with destiny either. And so maybe they're mm-hmm. leaning more into the lore as opposed to yeah. that. They're just, and I don't think you need a, it's not horizon or God of war or something. You don't need every game to have a centralized character around it. So that's he was a little, he was a little bit disappointing, but I do love at the beginning, Sergeant Johnson, you know, chomping on his cigar, finds chief, and they're not aware that he's made a deal with Arbiter, which is cool. So they hold the gun under his chin and all that. It was a pretty cool intro sequence. Did we talk about Kyle in yeah. part two? I don't think we did. Al Matthews, Apone from Alien 2 and how this this, char- this Johnson character is a direct ripoff of Apone. Oh, yeah. From yeah, Aliens. no, we didn't talk about that, but you're, you're right. Yeah. And apparently a very um, transparent one. They were like, yeah, this is supposed to be Apone, obviously who I think Al Matthews passed in 2018, 2017, 2018. But it's cool that he was alive long enough to see this because that character is ripped directly from Aliens. Now, listen, if you're going to reference a sci-fi movie, reference the best, steal from the of best. Of course. I love it. You Great know, artist, we, we all know exactly what that what that's sending up. But I don't think we mentioned it last time. And how can you not, how can you not mention that? Yeah, that's true. There's some I always think of things we don't mention on the shows though. We can't be all inclusive. Like oh, it's so there's hard. too many things. There's too many things. So much stuff. All right. Um let me ask you this before we even get into more of the story stuff, because I wrote this down in my notes and I was curious what you thought of this. Uh what do you think of the visor view? Hmm. The Metroid Prime style visor view. We haven't really talked about this, and I think it's most pronounced here. Very busy, very, very of its time. I like very clean UIs with as little as possible on them. I even like UIs that have disappearing elements where if you mm-hmm. don't need them or you don't, you're not playing or whatever, it just goes away. They give you this very, this is first person, first person through the, through the literal lens of Master Chief. How did you feel about that? I feel like it's a little distracting only because that was the way it went at that time, certainly inspired by great first person shooters. Like I said, Metroid Prime as well. But through the modern lens, it was just something I focused on a lot, fixated on in a negative way this time where I'm like, there's just too many things. It's like seven grenade icons and like a huge bar in the middle and these like this this glassy sort of etch work to show you the visor. And then you got this stuff in the bottom and you got the gun stuff. And I'm like, that's just too much, man. I don't need all this data, especially because I love that they really read the data off of the a lot, not all of the guns, but like you're using a human machine gun that says the bullet count on. I mean, that's good stuff. So you can really use that in a clever way to circumvent that. I would, I would prefer more of a call of duty approach. I think in this sense, I could see that bothering you a lot more. I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. To me, it was clean, intuitive. I think the HUD didn't, but the only thing I was, I noticed at one point in the game, it's not like it really bugged me in any long-term way is the health bar is that light blue or your shield regeneration is that light blue color. And I thought a more stark color might be more noticeable or have you paying closer attention to your status. But that also might've been more distracting for a player like you. The only thing I don't really like in the first person perspective, Kyle is I don't want to be doing a lot of platforming. And I noticed this game had a little more of that, just a little more, not a lot, some narrow passageways, some sort of, you know, a couple of things where it was like a narrow walkway, a skinny walkway, a little precarious. I don't want to do that in a first person perspective. It's just to me, it's just not fun. But the the HUD didn't didn't bother me at all. I, I was I thought it was the only thing cool is like we talk about something like Dead Space, where it's really thoughtfully and creatively integrated into look at the character now dead space is obviously different there's perspective differences and everything but 
so you like to see the creativity of something with a thoughtfulness or the inventiveness to tie it in a little better, but no, it didn't, it didn't bother me. I haven't played the Metroid prime games in a long time. And I think I'm going to start with four and work my way backwards when it finally comes out. Yeah. Who knows, man, what's going on with that game? Oh my God. Nightmare. Years ago. nightmare. I, I want to say that game was announced like right when switch was announced. If I'm, I think if I'm so. Honest, if I'm not mistaken. I, and they, I think yeah, they said at some point that they were going to, I don't know much about Nintendo anymore, but that they were going to start again or do something else. I mean, retro is very talented. I, I think that you're, you are limited by first person as opposed to third person because there's just less for you to cleverly do like uh, if you think about drake like you can see drake getting the shit beat out of him obviously the screen gets dark and or whatever but there's some visual element that you can see of him by observing him that you just can't get and especially isaac in dead space i mean that's the perfect example the 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 spinal health bar oh my god is brilliant. brilliant the meter that you know, chronicles your magic use or whatever you would be in that in that game. So good is cool. It's like the little circular meter and and all. Oh, it's awesome. It's brilliant. But that's not an advantage you have in first person, unfortunately. It's a great so they, point. Yeah. So they have to. I don't know. They. I just think that there's cleaner ways to play with it. I think that they were there almost with the guns. Although I understand when you're using the alien guns, you might not be able to read them or they don't have those same, you know, and you're not going to use like a pistol and it's going to have a readout on it. But sure, they were almost there. In other words, it was it was it was it's a it's a minor quibble, a, ma- a more major quibble. I wanted to ask you about that in terms of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, and I wrote this down and I don't think we talked about this at all. It's like I'm so annoyed that you can't cook your grenades in this game. I love cooking grenades. And I was talking that Mike is a big FPS fan. She loves Call of Duty. She's a big shooter fan. Generally, she loves Gears as well, which is third person. But. Okay, and we were talking about the art of cooking grenades and like how much how fun it is to cook grenades in Call of Duty or in Resistance or something and and throwing it too late and blowing yourself up or throwing it and it blows up like right in their faces. It's so fun, but there's something so anticlimactic about the grenade throw, throws in this because you're just hitting the button, and you're just yeah, and then the enemies just kind of all react the same way. You're hoping for the best. They're usually useful against lots of smaller enemies like the the flood creatures. Exactly. Do you did you lament that at all i i love cooking a grenade i feel like it's missing here yeah i'm not i don't have a lot of experience with games like call of duty but i, I understand your point because and then it gives a little more texture because you're timing things mm-hmm. and it's a little more of effective of a it's strategy scary. it's cooking grenades is scary dude it's you know, so like, fun yeah. <laughs> that's such a fun idea and uh, you know it reminds me of watching any war movie you know you know post-world war one i guess where grenades were a thing where it's like that is a scary notion to be in a foxhole and have that thing and time it and everything so carry that that dynamic into a game you could do a lot with that it's actually interesting that they didn't do that but i guess again not fixing something that's not broken and the grenades i had fun with the grenades i think it's another dimension to this game but I'll be honest with you, the different types, including like the landmines or the trip mines or whatever in this game, I throw them all mm-hmm. and use them the same exact way. I wasn't even paying attention to what Me I was too. throwing. You can toggle yeah. them with the D-pad, but I never did no, either. Never. Just, it's like whatever I had, I had. Yeah. <laughs> I just get them all out. <laughs> and you're always picking more up and it's the game doesn't do a great job of telling you that it does tell you, but it's just not. It's not quite bright enough. So sometimes you look up and you're like, oh, sometimes you hit the bumper and you have no grenades left. Sometimes you hit the bumper, and you have 7000 grenades for some reason. They could uh, have done that better with just an audio cue, a louder click or something, just saying you kind of restocked a few grenades or something. You always had to be checking that upper left hand corner. Yeah. But no, it didn't. You know, I was just lobbing grenades until they were until they were done. I think I took that strategy in the second one where I would try to throw two, like throw them over here, knowing they were going to dodge right and make sure I throw another one over there. And this one, I noticed 
that they'll just stop shooting and get distracted long enough to kind of zig. And when they zig or zag, then you just shoot them while they're not attacking you. That's that's the only thing, because the grenade very rarely, again, unless it was the flood or an enemy with really weak AI, you're not going to, it's not going to work. Totally. So you just lob them out there and hope for the best. <laughs> Did you use any of the secondary stuff? I actually didn't use, even realize that I had that for probably most of the game. And then I tried to use them, but I didn't really need it. I'm sure, I, I'm sure at higher difficulties, they're, they're quite essential because you can deploy shields and turrets and stuff like that. The one thing that I, the enemy starts using first and then you get access to them and I didn't realize you get them too is that is that flare weapon that kind yes. of acts as both uh, an incendiary and some sort of flashbang, which I thought was super cool. I love I thought that was a really, really neat idea. It was quite effective when the enemies used it. You kind of run away from it and turn your screen around. I don't know how much experience you have with like flashbangs and video games, but those are so effective if you play a call of duty or a shooter where you're looking at the screen the flashbang goes off and then you just have the, the screen you're looking at permanently no matter where you're going as it as it like slowly goes away it's brilliant it's a brilliant idea to make them more effective um, i loved that the enemies had that i thought that was a very cool idea just just totally blowing out the brightness that was but, really cool yeah. i didn't re- i thought that what cause you know i play on steam i thought that was my computer tripping up for like the first quarter of the game and I was like, what is going on with these flares? I can't go. It's turning white. Then I realized that's a thing. The enemy's using against me. Flashbangs always remind me of the Metal, the metal Gear games. Oh, right? yeah. Of course, Metal Gear Solid. And yeah, it was fun. But again, I didn't get into a lot of these extra things. The uh, flare things you're talking about, I thought were like, I was thinking about them as like almost sticks of dynamite. I think I threw them out by accident and they stuck into the cave wall or something. I was like, oh, shit. Like, what are these things? Maybe even thought they were spiker crystals at first and i was like wait what the hell is that thing but yeah a lot of the extra things and the portable shields and everything like that i didn't find them necessary i think because the game especially for you and i playing on normal was pretty damn easy it was the easiest one i think halo 3 yeah very simple very very easy they they look i think they evolved the enemy ai they gave us a few more things to deal with but it was sort of like shooting fish in a barrel whether you were in a vehicle or whether you were walking around with your guns, it was just now don't get me wrong. I thought that was fun. I liked the difficulty level. It was a good time. It was easy breezy, but it was too easy to really get, you know, get bogged down in. If you're getting killed a bunch of times, it's like, all right, I'm going to have to put the shield down here. I'm going to have to employ some sort of strategy, but you never really had to do that. No, there were only a couple of times in the game where I was. Well, I, I guess I really only one that I can think of where I died multiple times. And that was when you fight the two scarabs. And that was only be, and it was frustrating me because I'm like, I know what I have to do. I don't know why I'm dying. Like you just you just get hit by something off screen and you're dead. You're, you know, you goes it goes third person and you see your body dropping the weapons and all that, you know, multiplayer style, which is so funny. I love that. And I, yeah, it's very it's very funny. It's <laughs> unintentionally funny, but it's it's very funny nonetheless. But that was the only part of the game where I was struggling. and I was like, why? It was annoying me because I knew exactly what I had to do and I was doing it and then I would just get killed randomly. And I was like, God damn it. But other than that, often I would not play this game again, obviously, or at least anytime soon. But often I play games on the hardest difficulty for trophies on PlayStation. I know you do, yeah. And I sometimes play on normal first if I if it's short or whatever to kind of get a feel for it. And uh, I, I always go through games being like, what would be the hard? What's going to be the hard part of this when you play it on the hardest difficulty? And that would have been. Oh, you would have been complete fucking chaos. Eviscerated. Yeah, Absolutely. I, 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 I don't think I have this. There are certain I can only think of two shooters, first person shooters that I played where I could I could not do it at the time on the hardest difficulty. One was the original Call of Duty 
which was okay. released on PS3 as Call of Duty Classic. And I tried to play it on Veteran and I couldn't even get off in Normandy. It was I don't know I, I, to the point where I'm like, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do. Like, what, what are you supposed to do here? And then World at War, which is the notoriously difficult Call of Duty game from Treyarch. I wanted to beat that on Veteran and I got about halfway through it. And that dig in that game is so hard. It is insane how hard it is. And the reason that it is hard and people have realized this, you'll think this is hysterical probably is that the the thing that's not funny, but the reason that it is hard is that there are unlimited monster spawns in it. So instead of being like, there are seven enemies and you're at like an encampment, you kill them, you go in, you move around, you explore. It's like, no, you got to keep like, they're going to keep coming. That's so that was one of the design philosophies of the game. The other thing is, is a veteran and you can, and you can see videos of this. This is the funniest shit. This is where it's like, you know, when you get a grenade thrown at you in some game and it'll be like a grenade icon and it'll be like, you know, the grenades carrot little grenade over here, kind of giving you an indication where it is. There are scenes and you could find them on YouTube. They're hysterical where a dude's like sitting in the woods and then there's like seven of them coming on top of them. Like literally like, it's it's like totally it was impossible and people beat it. The best way to beat Call of Duty World at War on veteran is to run. And that's what everyone says is to just run and try to trip the next check part and the next checkpoint and the next checkpoint. <laughs> just like that's, go. Yeah, like that's the, the and that's how people straight up do it. So those are the only two shooters I can ever think of where I'm like, this is and there are a few that I I didn't even bother with. So um Wolfenstein two, the new Colossus, is fucking impossible. On, and there is a trophy that a few people have where you, you have to beat it on the hardest difficulty without dying. And there's no way to spoof oh, it. So you have to do it in one sitting. I never tried that. And then Doom and Doom Eternal from id. Not even going to bother with that because those games are just those games are. Oh, Dagan, you would love Doom 2016, man. We got to get to yeah. that game at some point. You would love it. It's, we'll you, if you want to talk about gameplay, like just just this is just gameplay. You know? Oh, my God. Dude, I, I would love to do that. I want to get. In, you know, I, you know I, I'm fascinated with it, and really never got into any of their things, including oh, Doom. Doom is so good because Doom 2016 is so good because everyone thought it was going to suck mm-hmm. because it took so long. And you know, Doom 3 comes out in 2004. I want to say on Xbox, which was an awesome. I mean, Doom 3 was awesome, but this is a very different game than Doom 2016. And Doom 2016 is a fucking masterclass of gameplay. It's an it's an absolutely insane game that I think you would you would love. We got to do that sometime. I mean, you make a good point, too. I don't love I never probably post NES. I don't like the idea of infinitely spawning enemies. But if you don't have that, right, if you don't have something like Doom where you have to clear checkpoints by annihilating all the enemies, then the run in, you know, the, the run and pray sort of model does. It's It's got to work as long as you could do as long as it's not hard enough to just act evasively and just dodge. Dude, I got to find the World of War videos for you. You're, I'll send them to you. They're, so, like they're, hyster- they're hysterical. Like, <laughs> like literally people just running through like these beautiful set pieces and like these things you're supposed to see and experience. And then people just in the, like you're hiding in the hedges and there's just a constant grenade spam on a, every, like everywhere you move, there's just grenade icons as you're like running through. <laughs> Has the, have you ever heard like the development perspective of that? Like, why did we make the game like this? I think just to be I, difficult. I, I haven't. But what my theory about I have a, I have a few theories about this. I mean, and you and I both know like that there are some there's some reality to the, the number cr- or the quarter crunching and right. how that segues to console. And so you have really hard games like House of the Dead and shit where it's like, why is this so hard? I don't want. And it's like, well, it was because you're supposed to be paying for it in an arcade and we didn't do anything to edit. So there's that whole angle of difficulty. But there's another angle of difficulty, I think, in 
the way games were QA'd and the the hardcore nature of people in the industry at that time versus now where there's a much larger texture of difficult games because there are notoriously difficult games still to this day. And there are games I can't beat. Like I'm embarrassed as fuck that Declan, our nephew beat Cuphead. I know I can beat it if I sat there and really try, but I don't have the patience. It's That's like, I'm not doing game. this. I, I remember when we did it for knockback. That was the one where I'm like, I didn't beat it. I just went, <laughs> I, I got to the third world. I was going to throw my switch. You know how you and I find it really funny? Like, you and I are probably the only people that find it funny when so like we envisualize like I have an intrusive thought of someone talking on the phone and we just walk up to the person and just take the phone and just fucking throw it as far as humanly possible. That's what I wanted to do with my switch when I was playing Cuphead. So I, I but I know I, I don't have the level of patience, but I probably have the level of skill. But there are still games that I can't beat. And there are games that are Soulsborne games like fuck that. I hate that shit. I really do. I fucking hate it. I wanted to when I played Elden Ring, I was like this is so obnoxious. I have no idea why anyone would find this funny, but I'm also the kind of person where I know I got to stick and move and kind of be patient in this boss fight. And then I'm like, ah, fuck it. And then I go in and I get, (laughs) it's hard to find those games that are balanced in between too difficult and too easy. Right. That's a, that's a tightrope walk to make a game. That's just hard enough. That's why I listen. Halo three was too easy, but it was fun. But, you know, there, you know, many games that do kind of walk that razor's edge, but you don't want to make it too, too hard. I don't At this point in my life, there would have been a time at some point, maybe in my late 20s, let's say, where I would have tried to beat the hardest games just as a badge of honor, just because I want to put myself up there with the elite gamers, like mm. the gamers that are among the best. I don't even know if I am that good, to be honest with you, at games in general. You always say how good Chris is at games. Yeah, Chris is very naturally. Chris is probably the most naturally gifted player of video games I've ever met. And we grew yep. up with PJ, who was another right. one. Yeah, he PJ was just would good be at everything. Yeah, he was. He was. PJ was very nat. PJ was intimidatingly good. I mean, that was especially because the games were weird. That was the thing about PJ was like, why do you understand how well this Japanese Dreamcast game works? I don't understand like how you will even know. <laughs> How do you even know? It doesn't make sense. We would go over and play like Power Stone, and he was like the best Power Stone player I'd ever met in my life. I'm like, I don't understand. This game came out one week ago, and he you wasn't know? watching YouTube videos. No, I don't know. He might. He he was he he was he and Chris are definitely kindred in that sense. And yeah, I, I think I'm I'm great in 2D spaces, and I think people actually marvel at my skill sometimes in 2D spaces, which is hysterical to me because I'm like, this is so basic. It's just an it's just a Y and an X axis, like. I beat one of my rarest trophies is beating Mega Man 10 on hard without dying or whatever. And people are like, there's another one for beating it without getting hit, which is just that's I'm not insane. Even, I, I can't. I, I don't know. I don't know. I maybe you could do that. I don't know. But I, I have no patience to try to figure that out. But people are like, wow, that's a crazy trophy. And I'm like, it's not that hard. Like, I don't understand. Why do you guys make this so dramatically hard? And meanwhile, you're playing something that is demonstrably way harder. Wolfenstein 2 in 3D. Beating it without dying is way harder than beating Mega Man 10, like to the point where it's not even funny. I could probably be Mega Man 10 on hard right now without dying. And I haven't played the game in years. You know what? You know, yeah, it's I muscle memory. Know, but it's, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's also the random elements, whether mm. the game has that or not. Because yeah, if you could just yeah. memorize everything, eventually you're going to get great at it. Right. That's what Mega Man is. That's what people don't understand. I mean, there are obviously bosses that are randomized. So like you think of Quick Man or something in Mega Man 2 where there's just nothing you can do. Like it's just it is what right. it is. And then there are bosses like Woodman or Airman where you can really manipulate the shit out sure, of them. Sure. So there's that. But everything in Mega Man otherwise is totally predictable. That's you just have to study <laughs> the game and know it. You just have to know it. Screen yeah, right. by screen by screen by screen. You just have to know it. Absolutely. And um, 
there are play people can go, I, I'll do it again someday, but because I'm not I'm out of practice, but. I did really good playthroughs of Mega Man 1 through 6 at IGN that are all up and really I played Mega Man 1 through 10 all at once on kind of funny back to back to back to back to back to back to back. Oh, I didn't know that. On a stream. Really? And I think that that's, yeah. And I think that that's and I think I only died like three times in all the games combined or something wow. like that. In that time. Dude, that's insane. And what's what's exciting for me, what's nerve wracking, but exciting about Mega Man doing that kind of stuff is Mega Man 1 is by far the hardest one. And Very also. Hard also by far my least favorite one. So like just getting through that one and it's like, okay. And then you go to Mega Man 2, which is comically easy. And then you're that game. And then you're on your way. Yeah. So yeah, I always, uh, I, when I see guys like Chris that are so good and so very talented in 3D space, like no joke. I mean, Chris is no joke good at Halo. I think like pro level at Halo as far as wow. I understand. And, and he loves it. Yeah, yeah, he does. And but the thing was, is we tried to do let's plays together where I was trying to challenge him on things and he would just destroy them. We did a video together where there's this part of Titanfall 2. I, I was missing one trophy. Do you know the story? I don't want to bore you, but I don't think I, so. I beat Titanfall 2 on which is an awesome game. Really wonderful shooter on the hardest difficulty. Got all the collectibles, got all the trophies, but I was missing one bronze trophy and it was for this training module where you had to do this wall jumping and wall running exercise in a certain amount of time there. I wasn't getting anywhere close and it's a notoriously difficult trophy. And the game had come out like two years before and I said, or maybe even more than that, three or four years before. And I sat down with Chris and we did a let's play where he just did it. <laughs> he hadn't played Titanfall in a few years. Holy shit. And he's like, Oh yeah, I can do it. And then like he practiced and bounced around. He's like, and then he didn't, he just did it. I'm like, dude, I sat here for hours trying to do this probably five hours or more of my life spent to, spent to trying to figure this out and so that's a, that's a different level and that's why and i learned that very quickly with him that's why it bothers me when people say people judge us based on the amount of games that we play and chris probably right. plays the fewest amount of games and beats the fewest amount of games out of all of us but people don't understand who they're talking to you know like it's a guy who mechanically dissects games in a way that i don't even get and i've been in this industry for a long time so yeah respect i love to that him, you know? that's high praise coming from you too that's what people have to understand. That's really cool. You know, and I, I would say that speaks to his generation, but that doesn't really mean anything. You know what I mean? He, they grew up with a different, they grew up with a really nice kind of variety of games from what was around when they were born to now. Like, yeah, I think they were kind of right in that gamer power wheelhouse. So, you know, it kind of makes sense, but that's so cool. I kind of love that. I realized when Street Fighter V came out, because I think randomly playing fighting games, pick your poison, whatever fighting game against other players, whether in person in the arcade or online, you know, live players, not a CPU. I think that's the ultimate, ultimate test of how good of a gamer you are, because you have to be Johnny on the spot. And I realized when Street Fighter five came out for online play that I just wasn't that good. And whether I got rusty, I was getting old. I, I was losing a step in my 40s or late 30s, early 40s, or whether I really was never really that good compared to the global scale of That's things. what I think was the truth for all of us. You know? Was that we were just not ever that good. Because I, I think uh, nothing infantilized me more than get, learning how good people were at fighting oh games. Oh, my God. Like, I thought, I didn't think I was great, but I was like, I can play. Yeah. But no, I can't. No, no, no. <laughs> I feel the same no, way. No, now. absolutely not. You can't play. Like, but well, I'm not saying you. I'm saying like from no, me no. speaking about myself. I'm like, I can't. I can't. Colin, you can't play. You have no idea what you're doing compared to these people at all. And did you see an Evo this last Evo that a blind person entered? And I heard them? about this. 
I heard based Justin on, based Wong on, talking about this. Yeah, based on sound cues, I guess. That's insane. So I haven't seen it. Dude, it's like, come on, man. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be an asshole at all. I think it's awesome that that kind of level of accessibility. How about the guy who lost to that person? How can you ever play Street Fighter again? One if you lost the best, to by the way. To even be there in that right. room. Right, exactly. It's like, I, I don't... That's insanity. I don't... I because I, if someone was like, do you think you could beat a, a, a I haven't played Street Fighter four or five? Well, no, I played four, I guess a little bit. I played five and then six is the newest one, right? Yeah. So five and six are the ones I haven't played. And it's like, all right, do you think you could play that and sit down? I'll, you could play as Ken in Street Fighter six and beat a blind person. I'd be like, yes, absolutely. And then you play that guy and he beats the shit out of you. That's insane. I mean, that's the level so of cool. I, mean, I don't even get it. Incredible. I don't get Incredible. it. Incredible. I got to look at that. I got to, yeah. I got to look into that. I'm like so kind of out of Evo. I haven't really watched anything in like six months, but I like a lot of those yeah. street fighter, the fighting community, YouTube, some really smart people and not, not Evo, just dude. talented, but really good at the, you know, really yeah. good at the games and yeah. really good at talking about it. Evo is dope. I, I, I think PlayStation made a very wise investment to buy Evo and they obviously did it at a very vulnerable time for Evo as well because of all the shit that was going on with them and their old founder. But. <laughs> right. That's yeah, I, 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 I tune into Evo every year here and there for various events um, and other fighting events, too, just because I love watching people play those games at a high level. I think it's very it's like one of the very rare examples of me watching someone play a game because it's like chess where no two matches will ever be the same, really. So and I love yeah, well seeing said. Who, who, who plays as who and what characters you pick and all that. So it's great, great stuff. So, yeah, I as, as a again, playing Halo on normal Halo three on normal, it felt appropriate. But it was never very difficult. And I think the first two games are are much harder than Halo 3 was. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Dagan, I don't know if you noticed this, and and this is really true in all the Halo games we've played so far, all three of them, but it's because of the power of the Xbox 360 versus the original Xbox. I think they're allowed to take advantage of it more here was I love the, the topographical geographic design of these stages. There's something very cool about the way they do things. I do think it makes it sometimes hard to find out where you're going next. Like you kind of wait for that waypoint to show up sometimes. Cause I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do, dude. Like it, it doesn't read very well. It also is obsessive about going over places you've already been because they're trying to use their assets wisely. So there's not only backtracking, but clear copied and pasted parts of games. Like there's a thing in the arc late in the game where you're flying from tower to tower. And it's like, this is the same place that we were just in like the same with the same enemies coming out or whatever. And I'm like, is this the same and I'm like, it's not actually the same, but so they do a lot of that kind of shit. But I love, you know, the beginning of the game. It's funny. You brought, we brought up Metal Gear earlier and the beginning of the game on Sierra 117 reminds me a lot of Metal Gear Solid 3, actually, with the 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 jungle topography and kind of you're confronted with a, a, a ridge and there's like three different ways you might go up it. And that this game is that kind of design philosophy over and over again, stitched together. And it reads a lot differently than some shooters even to this day i mean you think about a game like the last of us like no that no way i mean there's no not that level of ambition at all of getting through environments because they focus on obviously different things so it's cool that they even at that time were like we're gonna you can imagine this huge grid map in their engine they use a proprietary engine i think and you can see it from the top down and then you realize that they're building a pathway through all of it. And obviously Halo and Halo 2 experienced this as well. I just think what's so impressive about the way they do things here is the scope is way bigger and there's a verticality to it with uh, exploring, you know, the aerial combat, yeah. the ground combat and all of the rest. So do you, what do you take away from the stage design here? If you, if you noticed anything at all, I remember being really impressed 
with the verticality of CE of Combat Evolved. And I was like, wow, they they were so they were already doing that. And, you know, kind of masterful at making something linear feel a little bigger. Right. Because there's no real exploration. Any exploration is really light, but it makes it feel more vast and more open than it actually is. And that's a real trick. That's a really cool thing that they do. There's also something about this might be the animation artist in me, but when you have backgrounds or settings, environments, and they just feel natural to the point where you're not really even paying attention to it. It just feels right. It feels like a proper setting for something. It kind of recedes almost, and it just becomes sort of, it feels natural. There's something really cool about that. And I love just starting, I love bringing up Snake Eater, you know, starting in an organic wooded environment where it's going to, that's going to change. You know, there's going to be all sorts, you're going to be in these temples and more futuristic, you know, these sort of postmodern or future tech settings, but starting it in the woods and it's a, you know, it's a crash thing and a crash landing and you're in this environment that feels more like earthly, I guess, was kind of a cool contrast. And, it, you know, it's fun too. Like there's something we talk, I think we were laughing about this in the first Halo where that recycled architecture thing was like, oh God, we're, you know, this again, you're not even trying to change things up or flip it horizontally to make it look a little different or whatever. But I noticed that being much less egregious in this one. There were a couple of times where I was like, oh, here we go type of a thing. But they did a good job this time of masking it. I feel like they learned that much. Maybe flip a couple of things, put a different item around, make it a little more organic. So they're getting, they were getting better, but there was a couple of things where I was actually looking for it at certain points and I, I really couldn't find it. You know, here and there, I think there were two or three really instances where it really kind of stood out. But otherwise, totally fine. They do a good job at it. We talked about with two making it look a little too. I always think of I always pick on Stargate, the movie Stargate. People get really bad at me for that. But there's just something about the idea. And I don't know who this started with Sid Mead or, you know, the early 80s late sci-fi late 70s sci-fi visual development thing but you're taking the egyptian sort of cues and you're tying them in with the futuristic thing and you're taking a little bit of uh you know a pyramid and making a little bit star wars and you're mashing it up there was some there's something about that where it seems generic Hmm. but in this i i feel like now like a lot of things with halo it's just becoming part of the world that we're expecting to see it's becoming a style and, you know, with the third iteration, that should that should definitely be a thing. And I think it is, I, it, you know, it feels consistent, but they put enough new stuff in there to make it a little bit of a departure from what came before. And that's just good design. Yeah, there's a pretty nice variety of of stages and settings in a brief eight hour campaign that I think they deserve a lot of credit for, because, yeah, it, it, does, it does feel less recycly. And I don't mind that either. I mean, you have to imagine that the original halo was so samey in some places that they were literally just again, lifting and copying and pasting entire parts Copy of the game. Paste, yeah. And I don't, they, there seems to be a few things like that here, but it's probably not quite literally the same. Like I said, later in when you're in the, um, in the arc or whatever, that would be the, what do they, what do they call it? The Citadel, which is funny that they call it that. Cause that's also a thing from mass effect. And I, I kind of, Oh, that's right. Um, and like I said, mass effect one came out the same year. Around the same time, so that's that's strange. These things being in development, both for Xbox 360, uh, concurrently to each other. 
Halo got... Con- remember, you remember playing Halo? I mean, I played it so late. When did we do that conversation? Maybe it was three years ago. I don't think it was even that long ago. No, I don't think... I think it might have even been just last year. Like, but, right. but probably like the beginning of last year. Yeah. And I loved it. And I was blown away. And it was so nice to be in and on the conversation of how wonderful it is. But I remember that game with the recycled architecture actually making the game confusing for navigating. Right. Because I was like, I've been here, but you really hadn't been there. So I was like, this is kind of a pro- this is kind of a problem, you know, so at least we're out of the woods as far as that goes. There was no there, there's one thing I have to tell you, though, one it's so nice in this world of long games to be able to play something that's so brisk. And I love again, I love and this reached a crescendo for me in Halo 3. I love the rhythm and just that forward motion and that you know, that constant moving forward mm. and, just, you know, just really the momentum. I really love that about this game and just that energy of like feeling like you spent eight to 11 hours with it. It doesn't feel that long because you're having a great time. But I kind of love that thing of just going, going, going uninterrupted. And that that cave that you're talking about with the vagina caves, <laughs> I got so lost in there. I remember picking up the flamethrower. That was like an iconic moment because as far as I knew, that was the only place you could really get that. Yeah, yeah. you have to like go to that back corridor, right? And like right, that through that little yeah. hall, jump through that little narrow hallway and you grab it and get back out. From that point on, I just kept going in circles. I don't know what the hell happened. It got to the point where I had to consult a YouTube video just to get out of that cycle. And it was something stupid. You know, you know, this dates back to RNES experiences, I'm sure. You know you're getting tripped up in a game and you know it's you. It's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. the game isn't purposely being cryptic. It's not obtuse. You know it's you. But you're trying it's like trying to fight your way out of a spider's web. Like you the more you do, you're just getting more stuck. And you it's so aggravating because you know it's just something stupid that you're not seeing or doing. That happened to me in that part. And again, I'm not asking for you to relate because I think that's this is just a me thing. That was the only bad experience I had in this game. And I would probably give it perfect marks for fun if I didn't get tripped up in that one thing because it was just a little too... I don't know if it was that the enemies kept coming. I'm not saying they were swarming infinitely the flood in that point, but there was just a lot compared to other levels. And I couldn't get my bearings just because it was just a cave. You know, there was nothing really marking the environment, no landmarks or whatever. But that was the only thing. But I was saying that more to say, do you know those moments in games where you just totally it happens to me a lot? No, I, I, I have I have those. It's moments. not a soft lock, but you're soft locking yourself. Yeah, I had it just yesterday when I was playing Sea of Stars and I was running around this town for like 15 minutes. And then I was saying, to Mike, I'm like, because she's like way ahead of me. And she's like, well, I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, oh, you just got to go to the tavern. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, but I went there and then they told me to look for a character that I don't have. Yet. And she's like, he's in the kitchen. I'm like, oh. <laughs> So you're so lucky you have somebody to consult. Yeah, well, I mean, usually, you know, if it's you, because I, I had a similar I mean, I'll admit that I had a similar situation in Halo 3. I was going to well, we'll talk about we can talk about it now just because I guess it makes the most sense is I know what you're talking about. There were many times in the game where I was running in the wrong direction and I just realized it. And I'm like, oh, I got to go in the other direction or whatever. So and uh, in the vagina caves, it was interesting how <laughs> <laughs> how when everything starts to explode and go crazy at the end of that level, which is really cool. It does a really nice job of 
constantly dragging your eye, didn't know where to go, even though you're kind of backtracking through this very labyrinthine section. So they did a nice job there. But actually, I had a similar situation in fighting the scarabs for the first time where I was like, what am I supposed to do? It'd be like, get the power core, chief. <laughs> chief, it's the core or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, I get it. But I didn't know where to go because I kept going up the stairs and around the back. And I'm like, it must be here somewhere. And then I'm shooting the shield in front. And then I realized like all you had to do is go down and around. And there's like the power core. I'm like, oh, because I so I have those brain fart moments all the time. And, you know, it's you when you look on YouTube and you can't even find the answer to what you're talking about. That has happened to me. The scarab tank thing is interesting because with that, I wondered if the audio cues like the other characters talking to you and trying to talk you through it were timed accurately. Like, is he saying go for the knees? I already did that. You know what I mean? Is it is it synced to real time what's happening? You know what I noticed with those scarab tanks? And this is what I love about games where it feels like you're breaking them. I wasn't breaking anything, but at least it gives you the feeling of figuring something out was I would stay in the scorpion tank. The scorpion tank's a little hard to deal with because it's so slow, but it's so powerful that if you get in the main body of the tank, not the not the machine gun turret, mm. and you could do the entire scarab from the tank. You don't have to get out once the knees are shot and get inside. You can yeah, do it all cool. from the back. That's awesome. And I figured that out. And then it was super, super easy, even fighting the two. But um, I, lo- I love that this game had less of that feeling like you're breaking it. I remember taking the little ghost, the little covenant gliders into the caves. I talked about this with two. And I was like, I'm not supposed to be doing this, you know, and you couldn't do that in this one. I remember trying to take the scorpion tank inside the citadel or whatever. And they were like, nope, it won't fit. But I felt like with the scarabs, at least you're kind of exploiting a weakness in the game. You know, I yeah, love that. Awesome. I didn't I didn't know you could do that. I, I I felt like the vehicles were all very or were much more robust this time in terms. Did you notice that as well? They seem to take tons of damage. It's, yes. It, it seems sometimes like they were even impervious to damage, although I don't know if that's ex- entirely true, but that might be true. But like, it seems like it was more relevant what your shield health was for your person than it was for which I, which I dug because I felt like sometimes you get a little annoyed. Like it's like, well, we have the power fantasy of flying this thing and fucking things up a little bit. I love the different vehicles. What an, what a masterclass of gameplay and design. I mean, for all these things to work together is, is pretty cool and pretty advanced. Really, really love that. And I love all the new additions too. I love that there's one of the, I think one of the human, you get like a human Jeep and it doesn't have a weapon. It has a horn. Which is hysterical. Did you notice that? Yeah, it doesn't have the so like when you gun. hit the trigger, it's like me, me. I love that. Which is like very, very funny. It was very funny to me. All the that was, in the that moment. was so cute. I love that shit. It's so funny when you do funny shit like that. And since we're talking about the vehicles, I wanted to ask you about this, and I wrote this down because I wanted to specifically note this, which was though we give Master Chief grief for whatever <laughs> his lack of character and interest. Poor John. Yeah, poor John one one seven or whatever his name is. I do love this one aspect of the game and it comes out more. Sometimes you're on foot when this happens, but often in vehicles, which is I like to look at all the AI Marines and they all know who this is and know he comes from like the super soldier Spartan program. And he's there like they, they cheer when he gets there sometimes and stuff. And I love the idea of those guys getting this crazy story where they go back to earth and they were like, yeah, I was at the battle of the, Co- you know, the covenant battle at the, at the Ark. And there was a time where Master Chief was driving a Jeep and I was on the machine gun turret, you know, and I was fucking going off and and 
And then, you know, he went on his way, like he thrashed away. And that was like that, 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 that moment happened to that AI character. And I couldn't help but get away from that, that notion of how neat that is, that if you look at it from a deep storytelling perspective, these NPCs are encountering this heroic figure as you go through and they're all so amped. And you, so I think about two of them, like one jumps in the Jeep with me in the side and he's machine gun and the other one's the machine gun nest. And it's like, those, those are real guys that are going to go tell this crazy ass <laughs> story, you know, about how Master Chief was driving. And they were destroying these covenant forces. I don't know. I just, I couldn't help but get away from that. And I loved that. I love that idea for a side game, like an offshoot game or a side quest, you know, playing from one of these NPCs perspective. Yeah. He's a straight up celebrity, man. They they even say things like when you go to jump in one of the war dogs, they're like, I don't know why I thought I could drive in the first place. You know, that's how, and when he comes in, they're all like whispering, like we're all right now, you know, the demons here type of thing. And you know, like, yeah, they could tell a story like, I was fighting side by side with Master Chief and then he took my gun, you know? Yeah, yeah it's like, it's amazing. Like, it's super cool. I love that. So that's, you get, you get in some serendipitous way, you get the, the character development just from the way people react to him. I it's guess. fun. I mean, that character, why not? I mean, it's kind of a whole, to me, it's become this whole other way of doing something, creating a game or telling a story. It's just, Make that center thing sort of simple. I don't want to say even generic, just simple. And then flesh out everything else. It's just kind of another way of doing things. But he's just a fun, iconic looking playable protagonist in a game. You know, he's a, he's a household name. I mean, I talked about this Target and Walmart. Go in, there's Mega Block sets. You could get a Spiker. You could get a little Master Chief and a little play set. How did they yeah. end up with Mega Blocks and not Lego? I don't understand that. It's I think there's Mega Blocks, there's Lego, there's um, what's that Polish company? Like there's a I think it begins with a C, okay. but there's a bunch there's a bunch of different block companies, right? And I think they do their licenses on a rotating basis because who has Nickelodeon now? Right. Who has the Paramount? Kobe stuff? is the company you're thinking of. Yeah, yes, exactly. Which you know they make really cool stuff. They make the Ghost of Kiev, I think, uh, fighter jet. Actually. Oh, jeez. Which is kind of cool. But, you know, I mean, I think I think there's almost some sort of backroom understanding of we'll have this for a little while, then it's going to be kicked over to Lego. Like Lego will have things in perpetuity, important things like Star Wars, let's mm. say. They're not going to give that up. But other things, I think they go into it with an expiration date on the license and then it goes to this and then they didn't do a good job. So let's take it back from Mega Blocks. You know, Pokemon is a big one. Yeah, might as well but yeah, I mean, Halo, it's, it's in the box stores, you know what I mean? Not just in the video game aisle. So, and I think that, again, you know, I know we make fun of Motocross Boba Fett, but, and the Mountain Dew Color Palette was just something brilliant that we touched on, I feel like. <laughs> that is, that is special, you know. It's so, but you know what I mean? I think it's just that visual imprint that, you know, that makes them fun. And the voice is kind of cool and this sort of ongoing mystery of not seeing what's behind that hell who's behind that helmet which eventually you know obviously sadly will be not be a thing at some point but yeah i mean it's one way of doing it man you can't not i mean think of an iconic video game character that we really care about that we really know about right i think about nathan drake love that guy you know but He's a, we get a lot of texture over the games from him. We know his origins, his childhood. We see him with a family later on. We know, you know, everything about him that he's kind of like 
his, you know, we get the good, the bad, the black, the white, the gray, but Master Chief is just, I kind of like it in that it's just a video game character. You know what I mean? You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be so in-depth. It's just fun. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it, it, I want to be clear that in the main, I don't mind Master Chief at all how he is. I think it's totally great. I'm just confused why they focused on him so much for so long. They haven't they had an opportunity after this to move on and do something else. And it would have been just as Halo. People don't even really like the Halos after this compared to the first three. Yeah. You know, comparatively. I mean, people love them all, but I don't want to just you know diminish that. But I just uh yeah, it's it's an interesting choice that was like I said, replicated by Killzone and others, where they they have you know, resistance has two or three different protagonists and everything. So yeah, I don't know. It's uh, oh, that's interesting to have protagonists that come, you know. And I think right there was such a backlash with playing as Arbiter for a little while and two apparently that they sort of restrained themselves from doing that again. You're you're John and purely John, purely Master Chief. I for prefer this that. I didn't game. like playing as Arbiter as much. Like it was cool, but I don't. We I remember we said it was very MGS two, where yes, although not quite because you play as Raiden first and then Snake and you don't go back and forth. But that's a good point, though. But I, I I'm not. I wasn't crazy about that either. It's like, let me just play yeah. as this guy. It was cool because you had like the cloaking device and you have the, the special melee weapons, which are obviously available to Chief. And I, I love those melee weapons. And by the way, shout out to the fucking hammer weapon in this game. Oh, love it. Just love it. It's so good. What is it called? The gravity hammer? Yeah. Gra- so it's, fun. It's so dope. When you see one of those guys show up, I'm like, yes. <laughs> fuck you up and I'm taking that thing. <laughs> the vibro axe, as I was calling it. Yeah, the, the vibro axe. Very nice. I like that. I liked having another melee weapon. You know, you still had the, you know, the lightsaber, whatever that hell that thing's called. I have my cheat sheet here. Where is that weapon? The energy sword. Sorry. The energy sword. Um, I got in trouble for saying laser weapons in the last whatever the oh, laser was for the plasma weapons. Whatever. Who cares? Oh, I got my cheat sheets. I got them. I got them. Okay, my good. You're ready to go. I'm ready. What did you what did you make of the the graphical acuity and design of the game? I feel like the one problem here is that I don't think the Master Chief Collection did anything to this game except for maybe up-res it. So we were playing, and Master Chief Collection is native to Xbox One, so you're kind of going backwards in some way with the way the games look. Did you notice that, or was, did yeah. that bother you at all? Uh, I, I I did appreciate that I wasn't interrupting every cutscene by being able to switch between the two versions to see how bad it used to look. So <laughs> that was no longer an option for me, so I was incredibly focused. But yeah, what, did, did, did that hold back anything for you? Yeah, that's true. That was no longer a distraction. Yeah. What did I learn that there were frame rate and resolution improvements? Like you said, that was really it. There was, there's no remake. And I saw a couple of YouTube videos talking about conjecturing whether there even should be one, because again, this is 360. Yeah. I don't think there's an original expo and it doesn't bother me, man. I have to go back to like literally early N64 for that to be, you know, listen, I've been around since Space Invaders. You know what I mean? Like I've been in arcades since I was six in the late seventies. So that doesn't, that's not a cost for entry. In fact, sometimes it's fun yeah, to go back so. and just do something retro and in its original state. And listen, this is something that was out over 15 years ago. I'm already late. So the remake in a way makes me feel even later. So I feel like I got ahead of it this time. So in any way, it's gratifying, I think. I don't know if I'm, is it, cell, are, are some of the characters cell shaded in the cutscenes or anything like that? Did you notice oh, anything like that? Oh, you know what? Yeah, like a, this would be, they probably, they probably are actually. Because I, I just, Early I felt like, cap. I felt like they, it had a Borderlands quality to it mm-hmm. that the other two games didn't have. 
which uh, I wanted to call out. I don't that's know a good that's, point. I don't know if that's the exact right verbiage, though. But I, it no, I noticed it, like, in, especially in the human faces. It, I was like, wow, this looks like Borderlands. Oh, it really looks that's like Borderlands. That's You're right in that wheelhouse of that era where that would be certainly a viable technology along with the early mocap, earlier, not even early, earlier mocap and stuff mm. like that. So, but definitely some uncanny valley, but who cares? Like that, that's the era. You know what I mean? You're almost, I almost feel like it wouldn't be right if you didn't have that. You, you're playing a game from 2007 and it feels like 2007. <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's fun. It's very nostalgic. There's something nostalgic about, or at least for me, about going back to old games, even games I wasn't born for. So, pre-1984 games where you're nostalgic for a time and place and era that you never lived in. I think that that's what shows like Downton Abbey do really well, where it's like, wow, man, I never experienced this, but I feel like I could have and would have and should have. And so when you go back to these old games, seeing them through that lens is cool. And I think that it's important. See, we were saying, would it have even been necessary at the t- to remake it? At the time, no, because we have to, we're, we're talking about a, a launch era Xbox One game. But I think now they would be very wise to go back and remake this game. I mean, it, it, it's all, but I mean, it hasn't been confirmed, but it's heavily rumored that, that Sony's remaking the original Uncharted, you know, and, and I think that then that's the same year. And now I'm like, that's fine. That doesn't bother me at all. It's been 15 years. I mean, it's, can you imagine how good it's going to fucking look? Yeah, it's you time. Know? And how, and how it's going to do justice to Drake's fortune in that game. It doesn't, oh. it doesn't erase the original one, but it, I'm excited for that. Cause, but this collection is old. It's 10 years old, you know, at this point. So, it's you got to forgive them for that, but it is so weird how they, you know, I want to get more into the game itself, but I guess I'll say this now is I'm just so surprised reading about this game and remembering it and reminiscing about it. Man, did Microsoft drop the ball? How did they drop the ball so bad? Not with Halo necessarily, but they just they had they were winning. They were winning. This game sold 15 million copies. Games didn't sell 15 million copies back then. That wasn't a thing that happened. I mean, now we have games that sell 100 million copies and more, and those are very rare. But games regularly sell more than a million copies now, which was which was not incredibly common back in the day. It's become more common as more games and more people play and all the rest. So it's just so surprising that they had something this resonant and powerful and not only ended up kind of really losing the Sony long term, but lost the Sony in the short term. I mean, PlayStation turned it around by the end of that generation. I just don't know how they botched it. Like It's very weird. The, the more I, and especially when I. I, I say this in the wake of not only Halo 3, but later, and we'll get to it next week on Sacred Plus, is Alan Wake, which I'm infatuated with that game in some way. Like, I love it. And it's like, how did you have all... Dude, they didn't even think... Alan, I mean, it's clear that Microsoft didn't think much of Alan Wake at all. I mean, they sold it back to Remedy. You know? It's like, what are you doing? That's what, insane. What, what, like, what, what do you, how do you not realize the, the, certain, like, the certain things that work in there? And it's just like they botched it. And I, I know people are going to be like, you're such a PlayStation fanboy, but I'm like, no, man, this is like the prelude to this was top of the world Xbox 360. PS3 wasn't even in the conversation. I was looking at the top 10 best selling games in different territories around the world cumulatively. And it's like PS3 is nowhere in there. Uncharted Drake's Fortune was irrelevant that year compared to all the other games that came out here, Super Mario Galaxies, your Call of Duty Modern Warfare and all the rest. So there's something so interesting about this because it's the it's like the turning point of a very brief moment that I think lasted between Halo 2 and Halo 3 and a little bit after Halo 3, where Microsoft had their foot on Sony's throat and just didn't kill them. At is that, that interesting? Is it? what? And what is that? You know what I mean? Is it like a, the, the lack of 
sort of vision or the lack of recognition is one thing. I think of Alan Wake. I never even heard of it before you were like, do you want to play this game? And then I looked into it and looked into the development and everything like that. I said, this is fascinating. You know, what do we have here? And I'm just, you know, I'm just broaching the surface. I'm just getting in and it's pretty fascinating. But, you know, is it that you think about 15 million copies of something? Is that the belly's too full? You're not hungry anymore? You're too comfortable? What's going on? You know, you know, there's no urgency. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people in a corporation like Microsoft paid a lot of money to be those visionaries and to carry, you know, carry the ball forward. You scored a touchdown, but you got to score a bunch more. You know what I mean? You're a corporation. You want to stay viable. You want to stay relevant. So it is interesting. That is always really interesting for me. But I do think a lot of that is just also divested inference instant, you know, um, you know, really having divested interests, I guess you could say. You think of Sony as this multi-tendril technological giant also involved in games and electronics and media and entertainment. And Microsoft's the same thing. Maybe divested a little differently, but they're involved in a lot of things with Bill Gates at the helm and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty fascinating. And I, listen, I'm an animator. I don't get a lot of this shit, but it is interesting when you think of just like you saying, like it seemed like Xbox was winning. You know, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think it was for sure. I think people that weren't playing or too young for that era, PS3 really, really fell on its face. It was bad. And uh, I always tell I always say that it's so funny that they were selling it at a loss so that the better it did, the worse Sony did, which was even so it was it was hysterical. It was like a totally fucked up situation. I remember people would sell shirts online that said like the PS3 logo and it said like 2006 to 2006 on it. Or whatever, PS3, 2006, 2007, whatever. That's pretty that funny. That was literally what was happening. And of course, Xbox 360 beat them by a year to market. So they had a, an opportunity. And the Xbox 360 was a revolutionary machine with the way it dealt with the internet. It wasn't the first to use Xbox Live, of course, but it just it just was it, its removable hard drive and all the rest. It was very strange and interesting. And people, people were really taken by it. I would make the argument, and I've made this argument on some of the rounds I've done on Xbox podcasts, that the difference between, in my opinion, between Sony and Microsoft and people can agree or disagree is that I don't think Microsoft is a fundamentally creative company. Sony is a fundamentally creative company, like at its root, at its core. And people ask, well, what does that mean? And it's like, well, when Microsoft, Microsoft, I think is made of seven component parts or whatever. Okay. And Xbox is their smallest part. It's about 6% of their business. And when you wow, listen, is to that, that right? When, yeah. And when you listen to their, their financial calls and you read their financial statements, Xbox is sometimes not even asked about by, by, you know, um, they want to know about Azure. They want to know about Office. They want to know about Surface and all these things. Xbox is not a relevant brand that to them insane. right now. They want to make it more relevant. They're trying. They believe in gaming. They really should because gaming is going to be huge. And they have such a huge advantage already with being on with the Windows platform and everything. They need to make it work. But my argument is, is that Sony, on the other hand, the biggest part of Sony is PlayStation. And it's the exact opposite, Right. It's literally the exact opposite. So when the first thing they talk about is PlayStation, the first thing they're asked about is PlayStation. They have to defend their creative decisions. And then what are two of the next three biggest parts of Sony? Movies, right. TV, and music. The other being consumer electronics, which in, in and of itself is another creative entity, I think, as well, because they have world-class design philosophies and, and the execution of their machines is obviously well-known going back to the post-war period. So well said. I, I just think that the companies are different and people take offense to that. And I'm like, it's not a value judgment. It's about what you know how to do. 
And Microsoft knows how to make money on services. No one makes a better service than Microsoft. And that's why Game Pass has an advantage and why they might be able to fuse those two things together into something that's different. Sony is a creative company with that makes movies, TV shows, has a music division. That's one of the big three music divisions. And so they own, I think, one of the big six movie houses, one of the big three music houses and the biggest video game brand. They're a creative company. So they know how to manage things better. Just fundamentally, that's just true. That's why they didn't have to go out and buy all these random teams to put a conglomeration of things together that don't make any sense. They didn't have to go out and buy Call of Duty. They didn't have to go out and buy all these different things and Starfield and Bethesda and all that. I'm not saying that they couldn't or wouldn't or shouldn't. I'm just saying that they don't need to. They, they just fundamentally operate differently. And uh, so I think that when I look at a company like Bungie, I mean, this is a little bit obtuse, but think about Rare, right? Rare was with Nintendo for all those that time sure. and then basically sold them to Microsoft. Microsoft was interested in getting a company that knew something. They didn't even care about culture. And they obviously did not import Rare's culture because it took them probably three generations to get any real value out of Rare. And I would say that it was Sea of Thieves that became the first game that actually came out of that studio that was like, okay, you made something finally, you know, but their their fun, their foundation was always we're going to go and we, we need to build around this this idea of of finding the 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 uh, the information, finding the expertise, finding the know-how to make these things happen. And so they just don't know how to do it like the others do. Nintendo says that when they're at Nintendo's asked, like, do you want to expand your studios? And they're like, not really. I mean, you, because they say like, you can't buy Nintendo culture. And that's a totally different way of looking at the creation of games. And Sony's somewhere probably in the middle of that. So when I look at a situation with Microsoft where, so I bring up rare, they go and acquire rare. They look at Bungie the same way. They're like, well, Bungie wants out. And we're going to let them go. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't understand. What, what are you talking about? You got to go and give them whatever they want. I don't understand what you're talking. You can't let them go. Right. Make them happy. Right. They don't want to make Halo compromise. anymore. So let them make something else that if something else was destiny. You could have had it. Right. And you could have still made your Halo games for 343 and all of that stuff. So that's what I'm saying. They're transactional, or at least they were a highly transactional company where they're like, yeah, we just want Halo. We want the short win now and we'll let you go. Oh, see. You know, and so short they agreed win. to make Halo yeah. 3 and ODST and Reach, and they're like, we're out. Just as agreed, then Activision very wisely was like, we'll do, we'll do business with you. And I say Bungie's a different kind of company. Bungie's with Sony now, and I've said long since Sony bought them that I don't think this is the last stop for them either. They've, they've been independent and owned by three different entities at this point. So I think they just go where they need to go and they have a lot of push and pull and action. But I just I look at it. So I guess what I'm saying in a circuitous way is I look at a company like Microsoft with seemingly an in, 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 uh, infinite number of resources to, at their disposal, yeah. especially oh, compared God, to Sony. Yeah. Sony could never have made a deal like they made for Activision. Sony could have never even made a deal like they made for Bethesda without spending all their cash on hand. But they could have afforded Bethesda. But it's like, what do you really get out of that? This is a company that just bought Activision, which does two billion dollars worth of profit a year for 70 billion dollars. Right. A massive overpay. So you would think and that's great. You get the it's like whatever. But you let them go. Yeah. Why don't you sit them down and say, like, what do you want? Do you want to make multi-platform games? Fine. Do you want to, you know, do you want more money? Do you want more resources? That's what a creative entity would do. Can you imagine Sony ever letting Naughty Dog leave? Right. It's you like strike up, not, somebody's unhappy. You strike up a compromise, right? It's, how do, how can we all make out from this situation? Yeah, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. At least historically, or back 
back then, I I can't help it, but it smacks of a philosophy of what you said, kind of short-term money over long-term plans and vision. And that's weird because there's so many, there's so many dollars in those coffers anyway. It's like you're going for the short-term money. That's really odd. And dig, what did they get? They got the short-term money and the long-term lack of gain. They, they took them, they took, they used Bungie and let them go. They didn't manage Halo, right? They didn't manage gears. They didn't manage any of these things, right? They didn't get anything new going. That's, I think their biggest danger. That's why I think Starfield has been so important to them is that finally there is a massive game. That is not Halo yeah, or Gears of War. And Gears something hasn't really be been big in years, about. you know? So yeah, it's like something, and I think Gears is better than Halo, so I'm not insulting Gears. I just, they're different. But yeah, yeah they finally got something going. Yeah. And it's just, it is bad for them. It's like, what was the game they were relying on when Xbox launched? Halo. What game were they relying on when Xbox Series X launched? Halo. <laughs> That's no now good. something new is bubbling, That's not right? Work. I, you know, in layman's terms, I used to think about it, and you, you could speak to this, but this, it's a very elementary way of looking at things. And this is a much larger conversation for another time. But I really used to think the Sony versus Microsoft thing really more boiled down to an East versus West thing. You know what I mean? Like Eastern culture and philosophies and vision versus a Western thing. And it really is so much more complicated than that. The more mm. I learn. And the more I play games and then have to research on the games and the development and the publishing and the eras, the more I learn that that's a re- that's really that's part of it. But it's really a relatively small part of it. It really has to do with bigger things than that. It's fascinating for me because I'm still learning it. You know what I mean? You're so entrenched in it and so knowledgeable about this kind of thing. But it's it's really fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation. You know? Yeah, it, it's. You play a game like this and go back to that time and you're just like, how did we get here? That's so crazy. 15 million copies, 11. I think they sold 11 million in like six weeks. I heard that. I read that. That's insane. I mean, especially for that time. I mean, that's nuts. Especially the console at that point is only two years old. (laughs) So you're really, you're really killing it. You're killing it. And yeah, I I would love to know how they just botched it. They just botched it. So odd. They let their competitor back in. They really could have. They. I don't know if they would have ever vanquished PlayStation. PlayStation's very gritty, hardcore fan base to this day. People were still playing PS3 by the millions, even when it was at its worst. But I think they really could have flipped the script so that you could imagine a situation where the Xbox brand is outselling PS5 by two to one instead of the other way around. Like, I think in some way you saw when Phil Spencer was on Kind of Funny and gave up what I thought was a very candid and surprisingly candid interview where it seemed they seem to resign to understand that they're not going to win that like they need to figure out a new they need to figure out like a new front to fight on but like they're never i think they said something like we're never going to out console sony that you is know? interesting and to publicly like, yeah, but, you, but, but you did at one time right you were you, were. <laughs> you certainly did so you and he was saying and he admitted that xbox one was just such a bad console for them that it was just the worst generation they could have possibly lost because it became the first permanent generation really where PSN will always exist from that foundational point and Xbox Live as we understand it, although they have much more extensive backwards compatibility. So, yeah, we're, we're way off the topic, but I just uh, I find that so interesting based on this game because I look at this game as kind of the high watermark. It's certainly the high watermark for them commercially as far as game sales are concerned. I don't know that Xbox ever released a game that sold this well ever again. 
that's insane to think that 2007, mm-hmm. right? This culture, this era. And also like, am I correct, Colin, saying like this 2007 perspective, Xbox, Halo 3, they had multiplayer and online play sewn up. Like oh carrying God, off the success of how good Halo 2 was. But now close. with this, yeah. right? It wasn't even, it wasn't even a contest. Dude, Sony was absolutely they were they were getting murdered on the online front. They they were they were years behind years. Remember, trophies themselves were three years after achievements. That like the I always bring up the story about how when you would buy digital games on PS3 when you would when it first came out, it would open a browser on your. It wasn't even like a native thing you can do. It would open a browser and you had to use a. Bra- it was crazy. I mean, I would I would argue that Microsoft's expertise was more than a generation ahead at at one point. And that kind of folded, I would say, during PS4 became kind of moot, I would say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the one advantage PS3 a- had was that PS3's online was free while you had to have Xbox Live to use the online functionality, gold or whatever, okay. not silver or whatever, which would just been logging in. So that I think gave PSN some level of viability. And then finally, Sony turned on, finally for them, they turned on the, the spigot where they're like, well, now PS Plus is required for online play. But that didn't begin until they had the... Dude, remember Sony PSN went offline for six weeks. Remember that? I do. How crazy is that? God, that was that was good times on IGN PlayStation, though, man. We had so much to talk about at that time. I'll tell you what. And one of my most famous podcasts was the one that when when PSN came back, and uh, after six or seven weeks, and we're like, oh my god, it's like it, what happened? Is it? It's almost it's almost incredible that that happened and they survived. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Wouldn't have that been a moment where it's like, well, we're gonna win now? I mean, right. They just didn't have the games. That is insane to think. Yeah, you couldn't take it at that point, right? You couldn't take the trophy at that point. It was probably never going to happen. Let me see here. I'm trying to find best-selling list of Xbox 360 games. Okay. There's a Wikipedia article. So, yeah, the best-selling Xbox 360 games were... There was like four Call of Duty games that it sold about as much as Halo 3 did. That makes sense. Skyrim. Sure. And then Minecraft was at 21 million. Grand Theft Auto 22.9. Connected Ventures 24 million, which is interesting. Oh. So yeah, these are numbers that are just it's just so impressive. And they just uh I don't know, man. Even Halo Reach sold 9.8 million, Halo 4, 9.4 million. Substantially more than Gears. Gears and Gears 2 each sold 5 million copies. Wow. And uh that is interesting. And Gears 3, 3 million. So wow. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think they just huge. Yeah, they they messed up somewhere along the line. But nonetheless, I want to talk a little bit about if we can if we can in this non sequitur filled episode of not back, go back <laughs> to the story. I was curious if any of these settings uh specifically spoke to you. I, I mentioned earlier that I loved the whole visual of so they're in New Mombasa in Africa. And I guess the arc or like whatever is buried there. By the way, shout out to the connection of the original game where Cortana has the the key or whatever from the original game for the, the Halo there, which was I thought that was a super cool connection as well. But I loved the whole visual of this slip space. I guess rift opening above where the arc was and everyone slips through and they end up finding themselves out of the galaxy entirely, which is incredible. I mean, that intergalactic travel or leaving the galaxy is considered virtually impossible. I mean, we don't under, I mean, that's not even, we don't even understand the fun, like the, the distances, how you would do that. I know mass effect Andromeda deals with that a little bit, but 
everything's literally you know a galaxy far far away in star wars like where it's always and there's plenty to work with in a galaxy of billions of stars and all these things so i i loved that and i love when they look up at the sky and they see the gal they see the milky way in the in the in the daytime sky which i thought was so cool i'm not entirely sure where they are they're not in another galaxy because they're way too close to the milky way so they're in some sort of intergalactic space and i guess if I'm interpreting this correctly, and again, this goes back to the kind of the confusion I have with some parts of the story is I guess this was where the forerunners went to manufacture and use the halos safely, right? Because they're out of the galaxy. So they can kind of witness it and then kind of jump back in when everyone's dead with the flood primarily. I don't know if you understood it like that as well, but I wanted to ask you, that makes sense. What did you think of that whole? I loved that whole, that whole story arc of, they go back to a place that was really important in the second game. We know the aliens are obsessed with it. The Covenant's obsessed right. with this place for some reason. They don't understand why. I'm not entirely sure how they were direct. I'm sure it's in something, but they, they, how they were directed to Earth, because the Covenant didn't even know where Earth was. Then they find that the Earth is really important. I guess it's important because the humans are the forerunners, I think. Right? So there's some sort of weird cyclical Battlestar Galactica thing there. And then... And then, yeah, they find themselves torn. You know, we're, we're the Earth is kind of in one of the spiral arms, so they're they're going in the opposite direction of the galactic center, and they find themselves in this place, I guess, where the where the, the rings are manufactured. I, I thought it was really cool, and I loved this part of the story. I, I wondered if this touched you or if anything else spoke to you. It's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful world building. It's beautiful storytelling. It's something that I think pulls a lot of inspiration from various works of science fiction, but really is its own unique standalone thing, you know, which I think is really, really cool. Like it's, it's very, very well done, you know, from soup to nuts. I like, you know what I love about the story? I, like you, I was confused about a lot of it. It had been a little while since we played Halo 2. So I had to sort of read and try to catch myself up. There's a lot going on in this thing. It's pretty complex, but I just love the set piece nature of seeing the giant ships, seeing the fleets, seeing that giant, you know, that giant structure that you're driving on at the end. It's very, it's very fantastic. And it really makes, it makes me smile as a science fiction fan. It really, it's beautifully realized. It's also really shown on a grand scale. The whole idea of the halo is a really kind of a cool thing. You know, I remember thinking before I played the Halo games, like, oh, that's like an artificial, it's a ring about around a planet, but it's an artificial ring. It's a ring that they built. It's not a ring made of ice and, and rock and all that kind of thing, which I always thought was a really, really cool idea, like this massive thing. We always thought of the, growing up as the, the Death Star being massive, but mm-hmm. imagine a proper sized planet with this ring, you know, I th- I always thought that was really really kind of with a neat topography thing. like it's a ring that for somehow is earth like though like it's very yeah. it's very weird yeah it's really yeah it's like organic but it's yeah it's like it's and again a lot of it confuses me but I love the visual components of everything you know it's just really really beautiful and something that seems you know something that seems unique you know it, I, and I think it's one of the things that makes. Halo so special because again I go on and on about how much fun I have with the games but if you're into the science fiction storytelling component and just a good story with good characters and that sort of thing and the substance you know what I mean you could come for that you know it has all of that it's not contrived or hacked out 
or kind of thoughtless. None of, none of that stuff is an afterthought. It has all the meat, you know, and I, I just kind of love that. But from a visual perspective, I guess growing up into Star Wars and the other iconic works of science fiction, it just, it's so much more of that. And it does it in its own way. It doesn't, it uses that inspiration as fodder, but it's not copying any of the stuff that's come before. And I, I just think that's, I think that's rare. I think that's a rare thing. Yeah, it does feel unique. I, I love the the visual. Uh, we talked about it. We don't we don't get any of the shots. I don't think really like we do in the first two of being on the halo and how cool that is when you're seeing it going up and it's very unnatural as it goes behind you into the into the horizon. So very, very cool. And I, I, I said when we did the original Halo, I remember in 2022 that I remember so well getting that game in 2003 and playing it and, and being on the surface of Halo. And it's like, wow, this is so, so cool. And I, I love sci-fi and I love contrived sci-fi and I love hard sci-fi and I love all that kind of stuff. But this does feel unique. I don't think that the visual flair of it quite meets the potential of the story itself. I think that it's a little Jim Henson-y with some of the enemies and like, I don't know. Mass Effect, I think, suffered the same way. I think it's really difficult to do aliens con- convincingly. Like, what are they? You think of in Mass Effect, like the Hanar and which is like the jellyfish creature and all the different, you know, right. they, they, they do like a cool job of trying to imagine what it might be or what it might look like. Very similar. Uh, I think of like Zuckus, Suckass in uh, <laughs> in Empire Strikes Back, like his breathing box. Apparently he breathes like like uh, methane or something. And so they try like in all these different things that envision, OK, different biologies, different looks, different needs for your bodies and all the rest. But. I don't know. There's just something lacking about that, that the story is much cooler than the execution. Even the humans aren't very cool in this. The UNMC story's is, hard to live up to, man. Yeah. The, this, Mass yeah. Effect's a great point of comparison, I think, for the art direction, right? I know exactly what you mean. It's like, let's make the aliens. They're kind of like part raptor, kind of like part insect, right? You're going to take all these pieces and sort of the, form this amalgamation. It seems like in that sort of station of science fiction you're always pulling from the same places and Mm. it feels a little yeah it feels like the visual components don't hold up to how grand the story is because the the story and the storyline and the writing and the concepts set a really high bar and i think to match the art direction with that same sort of height of unique flavor yeah it's it's missing a little bit. It's not quite living up to the potential. I know exactly what you mean. It's a little samey visually. Right. It, it reminds me of Star Trek or even something like uh, I liked these shows in the 90s and in the 2000s, like Babylon 5 and Farscape, where it's like, uh, all right, where where in Star Wars, I think nails it, especially oh, when you man. get out of a new hope and you get into. Even the prequels where it's like, yeah, this just feels a lot better, not yeah. X at the diner. No. But other other shit that just isn't isn't quite as egregious as that particular character or Jar Jar Binks or whatever. But like they, right. when you think about the Gamorrean guards, you think about Bib Fortuna, you think about Bosk or whatever. I mean, this all just works a lot better. Like they, I, maybe we don't give Star Wars the appropriate credit that it feels like believable grounded sci fi, even though it's like the most unbelievable sci fi. It's the furthest thing from hard sci fi that exists, basically. So there is something to that. But I love I love religion and stories, as people know, and I, I wish that they just did it a little more credit. I mean, even when you see the Arbiter kill Truth, it seems a little anticlimactic because we've barely seen him. 
And I understand that there are prequel novels and stuff that you're supposed to read and comic books and shit. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. Is there like, all the offshoot fiction? Right. There is. There is. Okay. Like there's there's a there's a I think like a visual novel series that takes place in between two and three. And there's like a novel of a novelization of something and all the rest. And that's cool. And I appreciate that. But I'm not doing that. So it's a bummer for me. Like, I don't love Halo that much. I don't love almost anything that much. So it's a bummer to me that they didn't marinate more on the prophecy. Like, it's fascinating that the Covenant really believed something that was not true, or at least that we perceived as not true. I mean, wouldn't it have been interesting if the Covenant was right? I mean, that could have been a whole nother different way. Maybe we... I love that. Maybe the halos are destroyed, but then you discover that actually they were lying. Like you were being lied to about all these other things and these, you know, they could have done something different, but they never really spent enough time getting. And that's why, again, going back to what I said in the beginning with that Chris Reagan meme, I get it now. There was so much you would expect. Hey, all right. Halo one, this foundational shooter. We do the best we can. Halo two gets like really, really deep. And so you expect Halo three to kind of be the, the return of the Jedi of the, of the trilogy. Like let's get into it. And I just feel like they just skip over that. And that's a bummer because the coolest component of Halo is playing it. The second cool, coolest component of Halo is its story. Yeah. And they dial it back. Yeah. They really did just, they didn't do it justice, which is why I understand where people probably wanted more and demanded more. And they had more ideas in the prequels and blah, 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 blah. But you could have just ended this in a much more compelling way by spending maybe 45 minutes in cutscenes more than you do now or it's even having true. listen 30 minutes of cutscenes, 15 minutes of of corridor walking as you're listening to things and you could have really fleshed it out and it would have been I, great i think it's a great point man i very rarely walk away from a game thinking that didn't have enough cutscenes, but I, and i know some of the story still eludes me and i'm missing complete beats and i'm really there's there's halo fans that are probably getting really mad at me right now but the story, the concepts, and the ideas are so inspired. I mean, really among some of the best science fiction, I think. It really would have been something. I mean, we're having a whole nother conversation right now. If you can also make the designs as original and influential as, let's say, Lucas did with Star Wars. If, if you brought all of that to the table somehow... I don't know how many more billions of dollars that could have cost or what kind of godlike vision you could have had to do that. I'm not saying it's easy at all. But if you had all of those things working for you, dude, I mean, you're it's unbelievable. I mean, you really remind me it's a it's the storyline and what you have here that, again, that the sort of bedrock that you're putting this all on is phenomenal i mean it really is you got religion you got the different races you got all the infighting and the politics and who's right and who's wrong and sort of looking at something from your own perspective there's a lot of stuff there's there's a lot of social dictation going on there there's a lot of philosophical doctrine we talked about in the second one there really is a lot it was surprising to see them kind of pull back or Maybe the story is just resolving. So the complex stuff and the complicated bit, we're past that now. I don't know. I don't really know. Maybe it's a combination of both of those things. Yeah, I want to know what happens from here because it's this seems somewhat resolved. Like the Covenant kind of does is defeated, presumably. Maybe they're going to do some Star Wars show where it's like the Covenant exists and there's a flotilla, you know, somewhere. But 
somewhere but and then it seems like the the civil warriors so the, those that defected are at peace with the humans though an uneasy peace and they kind of bounce so i'm not even really sure where you go from here that's why i think i should love uh, your idea call of letting the audience think master chief's dead too like why not do that you know and then surprise people then really keep a tight seal on that really don't no leaks then come back out with your next iteration and all of a sudden this big reveal. It's almost as big, again, bringing it back to Star Wars as, you know, I am your father. I mean, that's a big fucking deal. You know, why not do that? That would have been amazing. I, I don't know if they were just afraid of the backlash of like killing this beloved, iconic hero. But then again, that I don't even know. Like that, that's a miss for me. That's an egregious miss. Yeah, and I, I dig different endings for difficulty levels where you could have maybe done a little tease a float like love that just absolutely love that let me ask you this before i forget we touched on it earlier so what's going on with master chief and cortana like what are they trying to and i don't even mean this in a facetious way or a skeevy way it's like what are we trying to say about these characters are they are they love each other like she loves him it seems like and but it seems like he loves her too What, what do you make of that did that come through to you too or am i just like senile in some sense. I actually got a little misty at the end where she was like, you know, where the whole you came back from me moment or, you know, that type of thing, or I chose you. And I was like getting a little emotional and I was like, why? And then I, I thought of that Peter Pan tank Mm -hmm. dynamic. And then I thought, yeah, I thought they were kind of subtly, not so subtly hinting that there's a romantic thing there, but she's AI. So then I was thinking like Spike Jones, her, but like Spike Jones, her came after you know, so I'm thinking about all these things where th- that story was being told, you know, like in that case, it was Joaquin Phoenix being in love with some disembodied voice, but, you know, again, Scarlett Johansson's voice. But yeah, it, w- it was kind of interesting. You know, it was interesting that it's kind of like these two, I don't want to say vapid, like vacuous kind of non-character characters. And all of a sudden you're very concerned about their relationship. You know, maybe it was this kind of thing where they needed each other. What do you call that type of relationship? Give me the word. Codependent. Codependent type type of relationship where it was like this thing where they made up, you know, they, they kind of brought up that like any relationship, good relationship, you know, they form a whole together. They need to, they need each other. You know, it was this, um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting the way it ended. You know what else? also I loved before I forget to say, hmm. I liked those sort of Cortana glitches or hallucinations in the beginning that you're seeing. I thought that was really neat. And, but I also thought that was really cool as a marker for progression. Like you knew you were going the right way. Again, very light exploration. You couldn't really get lost, but that was a nice inventive way to say you're on the right track. Totally. Love that. I agree with you because there's a a much more obvious thing too, is just looking for checkmark notifications (laughs) notifications <laughs> which usually right. lets you know you're going in the right direction too but yeah you're absolutely right little things like that because i do think that the game it's almost funny to me that the game has a, a radar on the hud which is another busy part it's like you don't even you're not telling me much of anything i don't know that i, I even need it. this i use it maybe once in a blue moon if it's like there's an enemy stuck somewhere and something's not continuing and i realize that you know there's there's a a brute stuck behind a pillar or something but other than that i um yeah, I was a conf- I, I love that because I was I was, again, a little confused about where I was going sometimes. But I think that comes from the nature of these big worlds. It's not a tight linear corridor shooter by any stretch of the imagination, although I think that there's a place for those two. And I love those as well. But 
this game is much bigger than that. And that's one of the things I really dig about the, the sandbox as you're playing in it. I was showing this to Micah, actually, which was I appreciated that the game is rendering really far away. Like in, and you could even and it doesn't really make any sense because bullets curve to the ground. By the time you hear a bullet coming out of a, gu- a gun, apparently it's already in the ground, um, which is so interesting because I they move that. so quickly and they just arc down and just go. So it doesn't make sense that this happens, but I like in the game that you could be very far from something, aim at it. So think if you feel like you're running away from a scarab and you're really far away from it, you can still shoot at it and hit it. And they're tracking all of that stuff from from great distances, which is appreciated. It means you can play the game in lots of different ways with lots of the different weapons. I did feel like there were fewer weapons in this game. Did you feel that too? Uh, yeah, I feel like they fine, but I, I, felt like I didn't I didn't see very many weapons this time around. Yeah, there was some new stuff that was fun. Mm-hmm. We talked about the vibro axe. We talked, you know, there was there's some other good. I, I wrote a couple down that I thought were standouts. But yeah, I felt like they kind of simplified a little bit. And I don't know if that's just the impression or if that's real. You know, they had the flamethrower. We talked about that. I like the fuel rod cannon. That was cool. The few times you got it, of course, I was picking the uh, space command weapons over the covenant weapons. More. Oh yeah, me too. Again, me too. there were really no reason. Uh, unless I'm thinking of one or two that were okay, but the overheating weapons were just sort of a non-issue. I was like, I would, I, that was too, too much of a cross to bear. I was completely over that by the, the time this started. In fact, I was kind of, it was kind of interesting that they offered that again, because I think it's a pretty frustrating mechanic. I don't like it, but yeah, I think it's interesting when you say like the visual component and seeing things rendered from far away, because in the cutscenes, but especially real time gameplay, Again, some of those set piece, those vistas of just looking out and seeing the ships in the distance or a squadron or a fleet kind of half covered with the clouds or the mist or high up to get a sense of that vertical dynamic nature of this world or the way the sky looked or seeing a certain sort of really sort of, I don't know, um, exotic piece of architecture in the distance. Really immersive. And that's what I mean about the story, I get more confused about the story, but I just love the sort of visual components in that world building and just creating an atmosphere. I think that's the thing. Some of it's a, you know, we talk about the architecture being a little too stargate and maybe a little too generic and the, okay, more insect alien creatures. We've seen that a hundred times, but there's, there is something very special about the immersive nature of the worlds, of the levels and that atmosphere. You know, that makes it really enjoyable, especially when it's something by the time it comes to an end, you know, in less than a dozen hours, you're like, I'm going to miss this. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's just something I don't want to leave this world. I was having a good time here. There's something really about that, that, you know, and I don't, I think there might be something about this call that's going on with me right now being late in my forties where it's like, I play these games. We talk about them for the various podcasts so much fun i think there's a part of me that doesn't want the complex nature of a story like in other words i'll say i'd rather save that for movie night Hmm. i'm at this point in my life where i just want the game to be fun i'm not talking about that it has to be as as lacking in content as like a miss pac-man but i'm really on board to have a good time playing something and be immersed in a world you know, and I think that's the thing about I don't mean to be underselling the story because it's it's a really important part of, I think, what makes Halo so successful. 
But yeah, I think that there's something going on in my life where it's like, yeah, okay. Like this is just what you're looking for in your recreation time right now. Right. You know? Yeah. Game gameplay. That's why I think doom 2016 is right up your alley. Cause that's, that sounds that's, fun. That's even, I mean, that's no story basically compared to compared to this. So, and that's just fun, crazy gameplay. So maybe we'll get to that at some point soon, but yeah, I think that there's, I think there's a lot to love about halo three. I think it's probably, um, I think it's better than halo one, but I, I don't think it's better than halo two in my opinion, but I do well, I am happy that I, I finally played it. It was a huge hole in my gaming repertoire. I'm glad I was able to explain why that is at the time. Really, by all rights, we used to get sleeves of games from developers and publishers. They, when you when games come to stores, they come in big big boxes, but then sleeves of closed boxes. I think there's like I don't know 18 of them in there or whatever. And we used to get sleeves of games so that we can all take one and play them. And I remember that for Call of Duty and all these other games. And Halo Three was one of them. And I just didn't have the time, the inclination, the machine played at the time and then it came and went but it, i remember it being such a phenomenon so to be able to close that loop in my own life is is great and i think that the game is really really good and certainly a time well spent it, games very it's, it's as you're saying games very very rarely make me feel by the time i get to the end that i'm wanting more i'm ready for games to be over not because i don't like them but because they kind of naturally come to a conclusion so yeah for a game especially by modern standards to kind of not stick around very long is nice yeah. And I, I dig it. It's all about the quality, not the quantity of the gameplay. I, I think people just have lost sight of that over time. There's no game I want to play for 100 hours pretty much ever. So I don't want to say that I'm like looking for that kind of game, but I think a game that takes eight or 10 hours, whatever this was, I thought was brilliant. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Halo 3? I mean, I would just say if anybody was under the rock with me and hadn't played this game, highly recommend it again, because it is that brisk sort of enjoyment of just a 10, eight to 10 hour thing. It's kind of a, there's low cost for entry. You could just really enjoy it in a day or two, maybe a weekend, you know, if you really want to take your time with it. It's so much fun. It's just so nice when we do these topics for knockback, just to be part of the conversation of something big. But I love, I find it very gratifying when we're talking about something not only big, but something so universally beloved that not only now do you have some context, do I have some, a point of reference, but I could see and agree with why everybody loves it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I get it. And I don't know. It makes me close. It makes me feel closer to my fellow human. It's almost like that Sopranos or that Game of Thrones dynamic. It was like, why does everybody love this? Then you sit down and watch. You're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Mm. You know, and it seems to be the general consensus that we all love this thing. There's just something about. You know, and and I guess in times, and maybe all times are like this, where it feels like people are generally at odds that we could agree on something like this. It's kind of neat. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, I get it. We're we're in the know now. We do agree. Like I have to, I have to concur with everybody. This is, uh, this is one of those great things. And the ending, man, I love the send up to the ending of the first one, and I just love that. I felt myself smiling from ear to ear as I was playing it, as those sort of panels were collapsing into space and you're driving your warthog. God, that was so fun, dude. That was so fun. Ha- I was just like, this is how you do fun in a game. This is a model of just how you make a game fun mm-hmm. totally. and why we game. It's just, it's an experience, you know, yeah, it, yeah, it just, yeah. I love how it all culminates in that moment too, of that 10 minutes of gameplay where it's like, and that echoes really how the game felt as a whole, it was like, this was really fun. I'm really glad I spent 10 hours with this because I enjoyed myself. 
Yeah, you I know, love what you're saying. That's all you could want out of it. I, I was totally self-aware in the moment that I was having a great time when I was doing the ending. Like, wow, this is so you're so engaged in this. I, I remember thinking that as as I was playing. So that's yeah, it's funny that we had a very similar experience with it, but that's not, I guess, super uncommon. It was it's good to add. Yeah, add this to the repertoire. We're much further, you know, we're much further in the sunlight than under the rock now as we get out of our <laughs> halo. For once, here. at but, least for me, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm really my relevancy with xbox is is you know long over by this era of the of xbox so there's still but i was saying i was reflecting on sacred symbols that really realistically there are probably i mean honestly fewer than 10 games that we're missing that would make it catch us all the way up on xbox when you when you really think about it from a purely a quality game standard the halo games the gears games we don't i don't care about forts or anything i'm not including Must that plays yeah, I, so we'll get to all those. We'll get to all. I think we'll just we should just finish Halo first, and then we'll just do Gears after that. But uh, yeah, it sounds fun. But Dave, let's uh, let's end it there. That was a a good conversation about Halo Three. Remember, you guys can play it on PC like Dagan is, or play it on your Xbox console. I think all the way back to let's see, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and then Xbox Series. Although the Master Chief Collection has many more games than that. I think at 40, I bought it for $40. It's on game pass, which I'm sure is great. If you have game pass, I don't, but $40 well spent. I mean, Jesus, oh, it's a good buy. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's halo one to it's halo anniversary two, three, uh, reach four and ODST, I think. So that's yeah. pretty nice. Six. Yeah. Games. Yeah. Pretty nice. All right, Dave, let's end with a, a dad joke as we always do. All right. I was tempted to read one of our cards here, but I, uh, somebody sent me a joke. I'm not sure if it was on Twitter or Instagram, but I thought it was really funny. But it was kind of this visual joke, but I think I could tr- I'll put it into words. If I fail, then I'll read a card. Okay. okay. Kyle, guy goes to a beekeeper, asks for a dozen bees. Beekeeper hands over a bag of bees. There's 13 in there. Customer says, you know what? I asked for a dozen. You gave me an extra. Beekeeper says, yeah, that's a freebie. <laughs> that's great i, I love, love that, that one. i was with um i was with uh dana and ali declan derek jonathan um and micah this past weekend we went and saw the gin blossoms live oh yeah how was and, that uh, it was awesome and, and sugar ray we had great seats we were like 12 rows back it was awesome oh shit and uh yeah, and uh, they were saying we were hanging out beforehand and they had some funny dad jokes they were going to send you. I'm like, you got to send those to Dagan. So I'll have to prod them. And Please them. do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was great, dude. I have I have such a man crush on Mark McGrath. He's just so cool, you know, and he's Did so fun. And he's so nice. Up? You were in range. Oh, uh, I, 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 we were pretty close, but yeah, nothing. nothing uh, you should have threw your panties up there. Yeah, I was showing throw. That's uh, still a thing. I saw that um, Drake released a picture of him with all of the bras that women have thrown on stage or whatever. He's like saved them all, I guess. Like, that's so weird. That is so funny. All right, my friend, let's get out of here. Dave, I appreciate your time. Thank you for playing Halo 3 with me. We'll see you had next blast, time. Had a blast. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Stand Media, Knockback, etc. Uh, remember, you can find many, many conversations going back years with Dagan and I on free feeds, on YouTube, etc. And we'll get back to Halo shortly and other games as well. Alan Wake will be over on Sacred Plus in preparation for Alan Wake 2, so look forward to that as well. We'll see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. 
Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. William Holbert, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, SL the FMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Rallo, Mr. Ayub, Landon Pipkin, Casey Raymond, Corey Tidrington, Exian, Magic Marker 215, Adam Tabiat, Jordan Vallett, Edward Fryrear, Ross R. Lowe, Kevin Hawley, Hugo Delagia, Austin Lipka, Paul Warren, Harold Eustache, Will Williams, Dinos Roar, Nicholas Renaud, Shane Breck, Jack Singh, Sean Llewellyn, Michael Mash Potato, Sweaty Magic, Nate Izod, Hargeet Chani, Ellis, Albion, Josh Sullinger, Gunner117, Andrew Roman, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Dark Archer SC, My Name is Mayo, Eddie Medina, Jason Arzan, Sean Hatfield, Christopher Knock, Ryan Daly, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zia Parix, Sean Miles, Relentless Rex, Alan Tiniak, Dustin Klingman, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Jeremy Roberts, Luke Aldersley, Dustin Grab, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Ethan, Fozzie Bear, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Parades, Dante, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Halsey, Dio or Die, T-Bone 007, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Zuza, Betty Ann Moriarty, Travis, Joe, Ross Chandler, H-Trons, Antonio C, Ryan, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Theo, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Tikos, Of Fortuna, John Zyle, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapier, Saul Balcazar, Birdo64, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Kendrick Callis, Jimmy Rodriguez, TB Lightning, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Stewie 108, Andy Miller, Patrick Montgomery, Richter 86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Joel Holcomb, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Logan Sharp, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelek, Jordan Town, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Carlos Algarit, Mike Menzel, Night Draft, James Hayes, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Joosh, Tyler Lyle, Martin Beck, Gavin, Jerome Ferreira, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, John Schultz, Tom Quinn, Carlos Chanter, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Pork and Beans, Jean-Francois Forzi, Tony Zaniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Corey Dustin, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, JSC Zero. 0828, Bo, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Thomas Sablin, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmort, Geo Corsi, Joey Gondholliger, Alex Monez, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, Austin Riley, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Don Lee, John Cordero, Greg Julius, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson-Peterson, Tyler Harris, Kyle Martin, Mad Mock Media, Bo Burkholtz, and Jonathan Rice.